This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Hey, It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy and blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Never before have umpires, and I was having this discussion, and I'm glad we asked Anthony because obviously he said last year he's been looking over it. Never before have the umpires had so much responsibility. Their responsibility has always been, I'm calling balls and strikes. You got to control the game. You got to keep people from killing each other. You know, you got to keep order. You know, you got to deal with the managers. There's stuff, but now you got to deal with time. Time is never really something they've really ever had to deal with. Something that you do see in the other sports. Time's a big thing. You've got to keep track. How you know? You got clocks. You got to get that ball past half court in the NBA football. You got to get, you got to get that. You got to get that snap off. You got to, you know, they are now going to have to keep track of time, which they've never really had to before. And just like in football, Hey, you throw that flag because you get and didn't get the snap off. That dramatically changes things. Well, now all of a sudden you don't get that pitch off. It dramatically changes things. You've got to keep truly track. You've got to keep track of how many pickoffs. One, two, oh, it's a third. You didn't get the guy. That's a balk. I mean, there's a lot of things that they're keeping track of that they're, these things will dramatically affect the outcomes of games on a daily basis. This just isn't balls or strikes. Is the guy out at first, guy out at second. You're keeping track of the game at all times. Why? Because there's timers now. Yeah, it's fascinating. And one thing to think about, too, like what the bang-bang plays at first, and when Kotze, say Mark Kotze has wants to challenge a play and there's a bang-bang play, he literally would have to, when the play ends, go out there, put his hand up, like, wait. And then he, I think he has, like, 15 seconds or so to decide if he wants to challenge a play. Like, that's something the managers are going to get used to. Not only that, there's 10 new umpires they hired this year, I believe, right? They promoted 10 umpires. Well, by the way, Cody, to, to, to that point right there, how many times have they screwed up how long a manager had to challenge something. 
Because there's been times where you said, wait a minute, this is what they're challenged. The manager got to challenge this, and this is way past the time frame where he should be allowed. And yeah. this and this is not as dramatic as messing with balls and strikes. I mean, they're really going to have to, if they're not on top of their game, handling the time of the game now, they will be exposed. For sure. And like I said, there's, I think, 10 umpires retired, so they have to, pr- they promoted 10 new. Uh, umpire so that's something to follow and see how that goes but yeah if, if i think it's 15 seconds for pitchers with nobody on base if you yeah. don't do it f- within 15 seconds it's a ball hitter same thing but it's a strike it's gonna be f- i mean we're both for i mean we've been waiting for this time after watching minor league baseball i think this is gonna be great it's gonna be also a field study from the article anthony wrote about how this affects pitcher injuries and, and player injuries that's something to follow going forward just taking it further from the umpires but the umpires agree with you. They have more responsibility than they ever had this year because of all the different timing issues. It's not just the between innings and all that and the pitch changing. It's everything they have to keep keep track of. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot, but it's going to be good for the game. And, and I like to, you know, as you know, I always like to talk about other sports to help explain our sport because you, you get it right. You can see, Oh, okay. You know, in football, the Philadelphia Eagles, are different than the Kansas City Chiefs. They just are. This Super Bowl you're going to watch next Sunday in Arizona. By the way, Arizona, oh, my God. You've got the waste management on the PGA Tour, which hundreds of thousands of people attend this event. It's like the most attended golf event. It's crazy how many people go to this event and the Super Bowl happening at the same time. Wow. Valley of the Sun, going to be crazy. But just take the Super Bowl. The playbook for the Kansas City Chiefs is dramatically different from the Philadelphia Eagles. And you can go from team to team. You know, what they do, take two rivals, right? What the Green Bay Packers do with Aaron Rodgers, the next Raiders quarterback, he talked about it down at the AT&T. Did you hear about that? Uh, No, but I know everyone's uh, – Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs won them there. Um. The most at Pebble Beach, where Aaron Rodgers just won the celebrity portion of the golf tournament, he said the most, most, the team that was most yelling for him to come was Raiders. Very interesting. He noticed a lot of Raider fans saying, want you in Vegas. Anyway, um, Justin Fields of Chicago, they're bitter rivals, Bears and Packers. Their offenses, because their quarterbacks are completely different. So you have teams every single Sunday when they match up, and I like to use Niners, Niners against whoever. They're going to be different. That that helps promote football. Well, that will help promote baseball. It'll be fun to watch a super power-hitting team going up against a team that's built on speed if we have that again. And that may be the way when we talk about how to how, – it's easier to find speed and contact than it is power, in theory. I mean, I might, I might, I might be talking out of my you-know-what here, but in theory, fighting guys who can make contact and run should be easier than what, finding a bunch of guys who hit the ball at the ballpark. So, you know, we kind of had it in Cleveland and New York in the postseason, but what if, we have, what if you have smaller market teams that say, we're going to be built on speed, we're going to steal bases? Look how easy it is to steal bases. And everybody's going to rant and rave, and I hate these new rules. And you say, I don't care. We're taking advantage of that. And next thing you know, you got a bunch of – I mean, Yankees are a, 
Yankees are a pitching staff that's built on we're going to huff, we're going to puff, and we're going to blow your house down. The Yankees are an analytic-built team, top to bottom, and they are all about velocity. Well, what happens when all of a sudden you're running wild on Yankee pitchers? And they're not built on defense, by the way. They're not great defensively. So what if you're running, they're trying to hit home runs, and you're running, and you're running on them like it's going. It's an interesting contrast. It will be interesting. And it, what it won't be is two teams that are identical in the Red Sox and the Yankees playing the three-true outcome game, strikeouts, walks, and home runs, and they're playing four-and-a-half-hour games because they're the exact same team. You could take the, you know, not too long ago when both were like two of the powers, Red Sox have fallen off, but you could, tell me if I'm wrong, Cody, you could have taken the Yankees and you could have taken the Red Sox and just had them switch jerseys, and it still would have looked like both they were the same teams. Uh, you're correct. Uh, they, they were so similarly built uh, The red uh, with power. The Yankees are still a power team. The Red Sox, as you mentioned, clearly nowhere near what they were before. Like The interesting contrast to watch with the Yankees would be a team like us, the Ace, because there's speed guys built in the lineup. There's not a lot of power aside from Seth Brown. Uh, another team to watch in the National League might be the Marlins. Hey, 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 don't forget about Aguilar. We just talked to Martin Gallegos True. about it. I, I mean, there is an article out about projected home run hitters, and they said hit Ramon Laureano and Seth Brown were both going to hit 22. And one of these guys, one of these guys, I don't know who, but Noda or Garcia, one of them's going to hit some, maybe both, but I got a feeling one of them's going to win some playing time and going to hit some dangers. Yeah, I, I mean, they both have uh, – Great power, but I think Noda might be the guy. I mean, he, I mean, as you mentioned, blocked by Freddie Freeman, put up some good numbers in AAA with, with the Dodgers in Oklahoma City. But a team like Miami is another one to watch, too. I mean, they don't have a lot of power. They don't score. I mean, they're not built on offense, but they've added some guys. They have John Birdie, who stole 50 bases last year for them, and they might be a team that tries to run more this year. You know, Trey Turner's going to steal bases for the Phillies, but I, we're going to see a lot more steals. But I think the contrast between two teams is going to be great. Not seeing Yankees, Red Sox playing a four hour game or. You know, um, who else plays long games? Uh, with, well, anyone the Yankees play really play long games. Anybody in the Toronto, anybody in the East, they play American League East plays the longest games. You know, I'll be curious. I, I know we'll be fascinated with the 40-40. But you know, a guy that can run a little bit is Bryce Harper. Yeah, true. I mean, you're going to be, you now obviously he's got to come back from Tommy John. But if Bryce Harper... Where he is now in his career in his prime, I could see him being a 30-30 guy. Let's see. I'm, go, I'm looking up right now what his career high in steals was. His career high in steals was 21 in 2016 when he was 23. He he hit 24. He was a 2020 guy that year. So, yeah, I could see him doing it if they let him 2020? run. Yeah, I could see him doing it. I could see him being 30. I could, you know, if, if Machado wants to run, Machado could be 30-30. For sure, um, I, I, I dare I oh boy dare I say his name because who knows if he, what he's going to be like. But on paper, in theory, Nando could be that guy uh, if he stays healthy. Uh, you're you're just infatuated with that with, with Nando, the ringworm tree cheater Nando. Uh, if Trout stays healthy, he's clearly a thirty, but he doesn't run anymore. But if they but if he started running again, Otani could be a guy like that too if they let these guys run. Oh, uh, Otani could eat. Yeah, Ot- Otani. Tony loves to run. A guy you would have said a couple years ago before he just kind of fell off the face of the earth 
Uh, Yelich would have been a guy. You could have said have been a 30-30, close to 40-40 guy. Well, but you, you, you want to fall off the earth guy that could have been that guy too is Bellinger. Bell, yeah, they both both the MVPs back to back years could have been those guys, and they both uh, they now they're hey, in the same division. Hey, something that I really respect about Otani. Otani just loves to play, and Otani loves to run. I mean, we've seen it against us. He takes off. He like he likes playing. To where sometimes guys get paid, guys get to a certain age, guys are kind, of, you know, they just want to they want to hit bombs and put up stats. Otani loves playing the game. He loves stealing bases. So, uh, you know, take the let Otani go. Otani could be a forty forty guy. Yeah, and two I mean, th- all he does is hit. I mean, it's not like he it's not like he's standing out there on his legs on defense for nine innings. Maybe maybe the guy to really, if we had to bet forty forty, the guy really is Otani. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. In 2021, when he hit 46 home runs, he also stole 26 bases. Now he's caught stealing yeah, 10 times. Runs, man! Don't 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 go to sleep on him stealing bags. I mean, he only stole 11 last year, but maybe that'll increase this t- this year. I mean, he only tried it. He only attempted 20 steals last year. Uh, There's going to be a lot. Eight. There is going to be. That's why I'm hoping. Don't know. We're not going to know until we see it. But I think the volume of stolen bases is going to skyrocket. Because there's going to be a lot of freebies. There's going to be a lot of freebies. If you're somebody like Shohei Otani, what is he, 6'5"? Uh, Otani is, I think, 6'4". 6'4", six, 6'5". Four. Six, four, six, He's tall. He's standing over there with a long lead. You know how far off the bag he looks? Um, a lot. Very I far don't know off the how bag. much you've pitched and thrown over. But when you're a right-handed pitcher and you come set and you look over and you're looking through, it's your peripheral vision, and this dude's going to look so far off, what are you going to do? You're going to throw over? You throw over, he gets back. That's one. Come set again. You're looking at your peripheral vision off your left eye for a right-handed pitcher, and he looks really off. What am I going to do? If I throw over and I don't get him, I'm really – that second pickoff is going to be huge. So I throw over again, and I don't get Otani. Now I'm up you-know-what without a paddle. I come set as a right-handed pitcher again, looking at my left eye. Once again, peripheral vision, looking at my left eye. Otani's lead is so huge. What do I do? If I throw over no get him, it's a balk. I mean, there's going to be freebie stolen bases. I mean, we have no idea if a pitcher throws over twice, how's he going to react now? Is there any chance he's going to throw over with a potential balk, especially for runners on third? Think about the strategy here. Think of how big Ricky Henderson's leads were or Vince Coleman, the great base dealers. Their leads were huge. If there's a runner on third, how many times are you going to throw over? You're not. There's going to be a ton of... Basically, I like to always say 90 feet. How do you protect? How do you guard that 90 feet? Because that 90 feet from home to first, uh, first to second, second to third, third to home, how you defend that 90 feet is so crucial. Well, this is going to be part of that now. How are you going to defend that 90 feet? You got runner on third, runner on first, first and third situation. I got a guy at first base taking a big lead. How many times are you going to throw over? How many times is a pitcher just going to be like, you know what? I don't give a crap. Let him go. I, I just have a feeling. Mark, check the tape. 
Mark the tape. What is it? 240. Is it 240? 237 on February 6th. Mark this tape, Cody. I guarantee you hear it here first on Ace Cast Live. You will hear, you will see an explosion of stolen bases. And pitchers are going to give up 90 feet because they're going to be freaked out about throwing over and the third one's a balk. We're going to see an explosion, and you're going to see so many easy stolen bases that it's going to blow your mind how this changes baseball and brings that athleticism and speed back into the game. Even guys who are not big runners are going to steal that 90 feet. We are going to talk for six months about the art of protecting 90 feet. 90 feet. You're going to hear me say it all the time. And it's going to be fascinating to see how pitchers, catchers, the men who are your infield defensive coaches and pitching coaches, how they handle all of this. Because I don't think they know yet. Because until we see pitchers throw over and then they come to their limit and they realize, oh, my God, my third one would be a buck if I don't get them. I think we're going to have teams running like wild and it's going to be great for baseball. Mark the tape, February 6th, 2.38 now, 2023. Uh, tape is marked, confirmed. I already did it. I'll give you one guy, another guy that's kind of under the radar. Do you radar. think I'm wrong? No, I, I think that we are going to see stole bases. How about these relievers? How about the Duvall guy for the Giants who takes like 40 seconds to throw a pitch? How do you think he's going to react as a close? He's got a great arm. Yeah. I mean, so it's an electric arm, live arm, as they say. And, uh, this guy's on, but he, 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 he's the human rain delay. How do you think he's going to react in a safe situation with runners on first and third? What, what What's he going to do? He can't take 40 seconds and he can only throw over twice. I think these relievers who sit back and just blow it by people and take their time, it's going to change their game. Baseball is going to dramatically change from an entertainment standpoint, and it's going to be great. Completely agree because we've been talking about this forever about the steals, and you know we want to see the running A's. Not you know. Oh, oh, oh! And, and sorry to interrupt you, but I got this in mind. And for all you people, and I do mean you people, who have been like, I don't want to see time in baseball. The great thing about baseball is there is no time. You will all be exposed because speeding players up and bringing time into the game is going to make the game far more exciting, more watchable. It's going to be great. And then everybody that called me in the postgame show, I can't remember the phone number off the top of my head now. Triple eight. What is it? Uh, I have it. Hold on. Hold on. I have it. Eight three three six two five two two seven eight. Hold on. Uh, when you're calling me in the postgame show, I can't wait to call you out, some of you loyal callers. I don't want a time. I don't care if the game's three and a half hours. Wait till you see how the game of baseball changes for the better. And all those you don't care about time takes will not age well. You're one thousand percent correct on that. And people are going to be like, oh, well, this is so much better. I can't believe I hated the, the idea of a clock, just like people used to hate the idea of a shot clock. And the three-point line, and every all the other rule changes, adding ex, uh, expanding teams in the NCAA tournament and the postseason formats. That was a failure. No one watches yeah. the tournament anymore. By the way, the minute they expanded the NFL playoffs, people stopped watching the NFL. 
yeah, the, the ratings are really in the dumps for the NFL. I can't, I can't believe the sport's surviving. And uh, you know, quickly, so we mentioned college basketball. Oh, you know what I'm doing on Sunday? Did I tell you what I'm doing on Sunday? Uh, you're watching the big game? No, I'm going to go for a hike in the Santa Cruz Mountains and get to the top where it overlooks the Pacific Ocean, and I'm going to read a book. You know what? I'm going to read the baseball analytics book by Anthony Castrovance. And, yeah, who watches football anymore? Yeah, it's a it's a dying sport. Uh, I don't know how the NBA. Hey, the NBA expanded. Nobody watches the Warriors. Yeah, that's true. I'll give you two guys I think could be 40-40 guys. One's Captain Obvious. The other one's kind of under the radar. Captain Obvious is Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. Uh, I think he could. I mean, whoa, he was, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if it's Captain Obvious. I haven't seen. I haven't seen him do either yet. Well, he 28 homers and 25 steals last year. That's not 40-40. That's. But he's one. The other one's Cedric Mullins. Because you know what? I would say, hey, listen, I've seen I've seen Yelich and Bellinger look like they do this stuff, and what's happened? Yeah, true. They've fallen off the map. The other one's so – you, so, you, so you're basically – you've seen a guy for not even a full season, and you're ready to buy as much stock. You're, 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 you're all in already. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sold on J-Rod, as they call him up in Seattle. There's always a, an A-Rod or J-Rod up there. The other one's Cedric Mullins of the Orioles. Um, he was a 30-30 guy two seasons ago in 2021. Kind of had a down year last year. He only stole uh, he stole 34 bags last year, but only had 16 home runs. So he could be a guy maybe if he can get some of that power back, he could maybe get there. He's an under very under-the-radar guy for me. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go out and go, well, you know, Otani could do it. No, I'm, I'm going to look at guys that aren't so obvious. The other one people keep really, really hyping up is I keep seeing everyone talking about Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals being a 40-40 guy. Let's – Let's let him play a full season before we say 40-40 for him. Yeah, and, and I'd probably be more worried about the 40 dingers and the 40 stolen bases. Yeah, that's a very if good healthy. That's a very good but point. But you know what, though? I, I don't, don't, don't. I think Otani's interesting because, you know, Otani supposedly has the governors on him. Like, you know, like a NASCAR where they keep the engines from going so fast. Yeah. Um, That's where Otani, you know, can Tani just be loose and be allowed to play the way he wants to play? And if that's the case, clearly he could get to 40-40. If you allowed Otani – see, but the problem is he's a pitcher. If Otani wasn't a pitcher, if Otani was just a hitter, would you say no question 40-40? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's the pitching part. So yeah. I think Otani is one of the most interesting – Otani's – what about Ronald Acuna Jr.? I, I think Otani is the most fascinating of any 40-40 candidate because of the pitching aspect. Yeah, and the only guy; those are the two guys that have come the closest over the last like couple of years. Acuna was a forty-one thirty-seven guy, so he. But who is who is Ronald Acuna Jr.? Uh, he needs to stay healthy. He's like Nando; he needs to stay healthy and on the field. I want everybody to know that you do have people who read titles and then they skip all the paragraphs and then they go straight to the meat. And everybody went to school with people who didn't read directions. And they always had that, they always they always gave you that test, right, where they'd give it to you and people would immediately start filling it out, but the test was you were supposed to read that, you don't take it, the test yet, and they, they'd catch you on that one. Remember that? Yeah. There are always the people that don't read the directions. They just go straight to start doing the test. And they don't want to read the stuff. And that's basically what happened with Jim Bowden's article 
when he put it out there about, hey, listen, 32 teams, baseball's going to go to it. They're, they're going to need to do something to realign. And now that you have 32 teams that baseball's wanted to do like the NFL, you can truly realign and make everything easier. Make travel a lot better. So the West Coast teams are not at the disadvantage are not at a disadvantage because they travel way more than the East Coast teams. How can we make that a little more even? And you're going to have four teams per division. So what's the best way to do it? So they gave the expansion teams to Nashville and Charlotte. So Dave Stewart, you're in. Problem is, is when people saw this article on Twitter They immediately went to see just what the divisions were, and they reacted, and they flipped out, and they were saying a lot of nasty stuff. And it's like, well, if you would have read the directions, the directions said if they expand, they're going to have to realign, and this is what makes best sense. And, yes, you're going to basically get rid of the American League and the National League. You'd have a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference. We're fine with that in other sports. And everybody's going to flip out about it. But trust me, after a year, you wouldn't care anymore. But the fact that people really didn't read why Jim Bowden did this, they just went straight to the divisions and they're, I can't believe you put the Mets in the Yankee. Well, we're putting everybody close to each other. It's called a map and geography. So we're going to take all the teams in Southern California and put them together. Why? Because they're all next to each other. Because the days that... The Reds and the Braves and the Astros were all in the National League West was a joke. And the American League West, A's fans, the fact that the Royals and the White Sox and the Twins were in the West was a joke. We're now going to do it right. We're going to look at a map. I have in front of me the map of the United States of America. And you can see how this all makes sense. But there's one problem. The Colorado Rockies. They're a problem. They're an absolute problem. And they're in the middle of the country. They're actually close to the Royals when you look at the map. But that's that's about, I mean, their closest teams are really St. Louis and Kansas City. You got nowhere to go. Look at the state. Do we have a baseball team in Nebraska? No. Do we have a team in South Dakota? No. North Dakota? No. Montana? No. Idaho? No. Wyoming? Nope. Utah? No. New Mexico? No. Oklahoma? No. These are all the states that are around Colorado. I'm looking at the map. And the Royals... They're on the fur. They're Kansas City and Missouri. They're the furthest you can get from their border with Colorado, the great border of Kansas, Colorado. I mean, seriously, there's nowhere to put them. So you know who's got to swallow it. You know who's got to suck it up. We do. It's unfortunate. But I understand it. I'm not gonna let me get my helmet in here. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on it. It's just somebody's gotta take the, somebody's gotta take them. 
So let's go over this and just show you how it makes sense. We've talked about it a lot. Do you have any problem other than the Rockies? No. They have to play somewhere. You gave them a franchise. They've got to play in some division. No, and, and the, the division would be the, what was it, the Pacific Division is what we call it, in the Western Conference. Remember, there there'd be uh, eight total divisions, in the, each, uh, four in each conference. So the, the, conference, the division would be the Pacific. And let's start with the green and gold. Makes sense. We've said it. I've said it over and over again. It is ridiculous we're not in the same division with the Giants. It's ridiculous. We're 13 miles from each other. If you did the tape measure, started the Coliseum, went to the water, took the boat over to the – we're like 13 miles from each other. How are we not in the same division? It's ridiculous. Yeah. That's like saying, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have UCLA and USC not be in the same – we're not going to have the Clippers and the Lakers in the same – I was waiting to see where you went with USC and UCLA. You, I, we, I know, yeah. We're gonna put UCLA in the Big Twelve, and and we're gonna put we're gonna put USC in the Big Ten. No, they're in the same town. They're in the same league. It's called how rivalries work. It's ridiculous. Dodgers and Angels are not in the same division. It's ridiculous that the Cubs, because you now make that's what interleague play gave us a little bit, but now you could truly have crosstown rivals. Yankees-Mets should be in the same division. It's going to spice it up. Because you're trying to tell me this Rangers-A's rivalry is really heated up? (laughs) No. So, I get it. Us Giants, great. I want to stay all in California, but I know somebody's got to swallow the Mariners and the Rockies. That's the only thing that sucks. We We cannot shake the Mariners. There's no way for us to shake the Mariners. (laughs) They're like the bad neighbor you can't get rid of. Yeah, they're always going to be there. And unfortunately, we're going to get the Rockies. It's just the way it is, we're going to get the Rockies. So it's Rockies. Now, I'm going to say Denver's a nice town. I've had a good, I, I've had some really good times in Denver. So if you're saying as a road trip, going with the A's, Denver's a cool spot. Coors Field's a beautiful ballpark. Good food, good people, good downtown. I like Denver. I've only been, I've only ever been to the airport. My wife's been to Coors though. She swore that it was it's a fun g- spot. Yeah, I've had. She I've, liked Denver too. I've had some good times in Denver. Um, Seattle, great city. Having a lot of issues, but great city. All star games there this year. All right, West Division. This totally makes sense. Dodgers, Angels, Padres. They're all. I mean, it's all right there. Geographically pretty close. All right. And then Arizona. And then you got to realize Arizona is made up of a bazillion transplants from Southern California. We need to get one of our Arizona uh, experts on. I would say if you talk transplants, Southern California to Arizona is the biggest group of people who have migrated to the desert. I'm just going to do a quick uh, Google map search of how long it is driving-wise from Dodger Stadium to Chase Field in Phoenix. Um, six hours a drive. Do uh, do uh, the big A. Angels. Yeah. Big A to Chase Field in Phoenix. Five hours, 58 minutes. So it's closer to go to Anaheim. Put San Diego. And then Petco. Because San Diego's more of a straight shot to Arizona. Five and a half. 
So literally, it's five and a half, six, six and a half. And then you're talking the Big A. Do the Big A to San Diego. Uh, okay. Angel Stadium to Petco. No, Petco no, to Angel Stadium. Not barring traffic. We'll do it the other way. Angel Stadium to Petco. Oh, they're showing traffic. Yeah, an hour and 51 minutes. It's 93, almost 94 miles. Yeah, it's really, I've done that drive a bazillion times. You can get to Disneyland. Petco's downtown. I grew up next to San Diego State. You can get to Disneyland in basically an hour. No traffic. And then Dodger Stadium to Petco is? Well, you're in traffic, so yeah. it's not. <laughs> it's only three hours and thirty three hours and three minutes. It's 120, traffic. 123 but, minutes. <laughs> yeah, but what's it miles-wise? Uh, 123 miles. 120. So, see, they're very close to each other. So, that division makes total sense. D-backs, Angels, Dodgers, Padres. Makes total sense. All right, we head to the Southwest Division. Makes sense. You've got Rangers, Astros. They're in Texas. Uh, makes sense to have St. Louis and Kansas City. The reason why St. Louis, St. Louis has a major following when you look at the map. If you go below in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, there's radio station for all those years. That's why everybody grew up a Stan Musial fan in the Midwest. All those, all those cities love the Cardinals. The Cardinals still have a massive fan base in Texas that even rivals at times the Rangers because these people all grew up Cardinal fans. you got Cardinal fans in Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois even. Well, put it this way. The Marion Mule was who? Ray Fossey. The great Ray Fossey. Great Fo- Ray Fossey grew up in Illinois. Ray Fossey grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Stan Musial was Ray Fossey's favorite player. Even though Illinois has Chicago and has the Cubs and the White Sox, all those people from Western Illinois, because they're like right on the border, right of St. Louis, uh, they're all Cardinal fans. So there's Cardinal fans. So that division makes total sense. To see to see a, a flight from Houston to St. Louis, an hour and fifty minutes. This makes sense. Astros, Royals, Cardinals will fit. Well, the Midwest Division of the Western Conference, and already you, you you're cool with Western Conference because it sounds like the NBA, where the Warriors yeah. play. Western Conference. Where the Lakers play. Western Conference. Where the Clippers play. Western Conference. I think everybody's kind of okay with the Western Conference. If you throw if you throw in the Kings, y'all, they're all in the same division, in the West. Sacramento, I forgot about you. Passion for purple. My apologies. Uh, Midwest Division. This makes this makes great sense. Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, Twins. They're all drivable. Actually, you know what? I'm curious how, how what is the drive like from Wrigley? We'll do Wrigleyville, Chicago, to what's their um the Brewers? Gu- guaranteed. No, I just want to see how far it is from Chicago to the um where do they play? What side of Chicago? West. Well uh, the east. east side, north side. South, South side. side. Uh, well, we can't fly there, so it, it is a yeah, eleven miles between the two. And they're not in the same. They're actually the Cubs are closer to the White Sox than we are to the Giants, and they're not in the same division. What a joke! All right, go go. Uh, Milwaukee's a quick drive because you know my oh, buddy AJ's done it. Chicago to Milwaukee is is not. Uh... There, there we go. From Wrigleyville, Chicago to American Family Field, and it's an hour and f- it's eighty, it's ninety miles. But that's what traffic is an hour and fifty minutes. Yeah, it's eighty nine miles. It makes sense. 
Cubs, White Sox, Brewers. So those are your divisions in the West. It's a Midwest division of Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, Twins. Southwest division is Astros, Royals, Cardinals, Rangers. West division is D-backs, Angels, Dodgers, Padres. And then the Athletics will be in the Pacific division. Giants, Mariners, us, and the Rock. Somebody's got to take the Rockies. Yeah, the only one We've got to wear it. Somebody's got to yeah, take the Rockies. The, the only one in that in the division with the uh, the Midwest division in the West uh, it's like six, and it, so it's, it's 400 miles from Chicago to Minneapolis. How much? 400, about f- like 410. And that's not that bad. How long is oh. the flight? How, the flight from? Oh, it's a power in 20 minutes. Yeah, seriously. it's a, it, These all make sense. Now let's go to the Eastern Conference. When I think Eastern Conference, I think Celtics. Knicks. Sixers. Heat. Cavaliers. Oh, Hawks. Uh, I think Charlotte Bobcat. Oh, sorry. Raptors. Charlotte Hornets now. What are they? Uh, Charlotte Hornets. The Orlando Magic. Shaq's still playing for them. Don't you dare forget uh, the um, the Bulls. Uh, CNN reporting Disney cutting 7,000 jobs. Yeah, a lot of people are. By the way, I played golf with yesterday with one of the 12,000 laid off from Facebook. I mean, uh, Salesforce. Oh, wow. They did it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's got eight months to figure out his golf game and to find a new job. That's what it's nice to work for a tech company. All right, we head to the Eastern Conference. Where do you want to start? Uh, Eastern. Let, let's do. Let's do everyone's favorite. Let's talk about the East. All right, the, the East. Conference. This makes total sense. Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, Phillies. I've done the train ride from Philly to New York. It is simple. It's literally nothing. They all make sense. Yankee Stadium to, to City Field is ten about 10 miles. That's the closest we got. The closest rivalry we'll have will be Yankees-Mets, going from borough to borough. So, totally makes sense. Philly, always close. We saw Giants-Phillies just recently in the playoffs, the NFL playoffs. Philly-New York, great rivalry with Boston, totally makes sense. Let's go to this one is not that big of a stretch. I think you think it's a stretch, but it's not if you know your geography. The North Division, because Cincinnati is not considered North. But you have the two Ohio teams. you got Cincinnati and Cleveland. Now Detroit is just on the other side of the lake from Cleveland. Do the flight. We did the flight. Uh, I was on one of the road trips. It was Cleveland to Detroit. I think the flight was 15 minutes. Now, that's in a, obviously, commercial. That's not a commercial. That's private. In a private, it's literally 15, 20 minutes. Glenn Kuyper coming up here in a couple minutes will back me on this. Um, okay, that's not correct. Why is, it's Comerica, ba- Comerica Park, right? That's what the uh, Tiger Stadium is called? Yeah, it's always been Comerica. There we go. So from Progressive Field in Cleveland to Comerica Park, it's 168 miles. Do flight. Um, I mean, you can't. You can't even fly. They don't even have flight, do they? Let's see. We'll just do Cleveland to. We'll do Cleveland to Detroit because obviously that's probably the closest airport. Yeah, you just fly. Which which which, which lake is that? It, it doesn't have a flight available. Is it Lake Superior? Um, no, this is Lake Erie. This is, is Lake Erie. Okay. I mean, it's lit. I mean, we did it. Cleveland to Detroit, it's like 15 minutes. So that makes sense, right? And then Toronto, go north. 
Toronto is just on the other side of right above Michigan, right? Isn't yeah. it? I, Almost? Yeah. My, Maybe a little bit east of that? Uh, here, I'll just see it from here. My my wife's family grew up in Detroit, and I like to joke that they're from Canada. Yeah. It's it's not. It, it makes total sense, Detroit to Toronto. Okay. Detroit to Toronto, driving-wise, 231 miles. But if you fly, it's an hour 10. Yeah. So they really make sense. You keep the two Ohio teams. Makes total sense. All right. Mid-Atlantic division. Oh, here we go. So now we start heading. We start heading a little more west, but we're still East Coast centric. You're going to obviously have the Nationals and the Orioles together. They call it the Beltway. Yes. All right. So you're going to have the, those together, and then this is where you put the Pirates. The Pirates is kind of geography wise fits right in Pennsylvania, and then you have Charlotte which is south, but a little bit north-south. Yeah. All right? So if you look at the map, those teams make sense. And then this one, you can't, you can't, you cannot say this, this southeast division, this says it all. Atlanta, Tampa, Miami, Nashville. Yes, I agree with that. It all, it, the, the, I'm telling you, that's why I teased. You got that tease, right? They said there's one team. One team that throws a wrench in everything, it's the Rockies. Oh, yeah. Somebody's got to take on the Rockies. All these other divisions make total sense. Makes sense. We, and I know, but you can't get rid of the American League. You can't get rid of the National League. Yes, we can. Everybody's playing each other now. Everybody has a DH. There is nothing different about the American League than the National League. There's nothing. Except your history. There is zero, zero. You got to realize, back in the day, the National League and the American League were absolutely separate. The American League had their own president. The National League had their own president. Those days are over. There's one commissioner. Everybody's under the umbrella of Major League Baseball. Everybody plays by the same rules, and now everybody plays each other. And now you're going to get two more teams to make 32. You got these eight four-team divisions. I don't see what the problem is other than we've got to, we've got to adopt the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, uh, by the way, from Miami to Nashville flight, two hours, 20 minutes. It's, there's not there there it's just the Rockies. You just have to find they're out in the they're out in the mountains. What is Oakland to Denver? It's that's not what, it's not very far. That's what I was doing. Oakland to Denver is two and a half hours. Yeah, it's not flight. that bad. It's not that bad. You're not driving. Well, if you want to drive, uh, especially right now when it's probably uh, snowing, the Rockies. You want to drive? It's uh, I've, I've done that drive. It's only 19 hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> 1,250 miles. I like it. I do. You think Kipe's going to like it? It's a good question. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't. He seems to be hip at I mean, the times. I tr- mean, traditionalists are going to, you know, they freaked out. We we keep freaking them out. We freak them out with rules, the DH. Now you're going to take away their American League and their National League? The senior circuit? How are you going to say the senior circuit anymore? I don't know. You'll figure it out. Time for change. And we're going to. It, trust me, 10 years from now. Now, the problem is a lot of people who are not going to like it may not be here 10 years from now. But 10 years from now, Giants A's? Are you kidding me? These kids will grow up seeing it all the time. They'll love it. It blossoms into this great. And you're going to lose, I mean, you lose some rivalries. 
You lose Dodgers-Giants, you lose Cardinals-Cubs, but you know what? For the better of the game, long-term, years from now, nobody's going to care. Nobody. Nobody. 10 years, 20 I mean, think, because you make these type moves, not for now, it's for the future of the game. 20 years from now, no one's going to be like, oh, man, the Dodgers and Giants or the Cardinals and Cubs are not in the same. Who's going to care? A lot of that, too, is a carryover from New York, though, right? Because they both were in New York. That's They're, all a carryover from New York. I mean, I get it now, North, NorCal, SoCal. Well, well, we lose that. I always wanted to be one where it was Angels, Dodgers, Giants, A's. Yeah. And if we had to take the pod race, fine. It, there's, yeah, if you want to do a whole California division. But if we're going to have four, you got to put four. We, we, we have a bad neighbor in the Mariners that we have to deal with. <laughs> And then we've someone's got to take the guys out in the mountain, and we're going to get them. Would you rather the Rockies or the Rangers play in the division? Well, we've seen it. No matter what, Rangers has never – Texas and Oakland just don't – it just, just does – there, there's no there there. I don't know what Colorado is going to bring. I do know great rivalry between the Raiders and the Broncos. I've lived it. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. A I've, li- one. I've lived a Denver-Oakland hate relationship. I've seen it, different sport. But I can't – we've never we've never been able to muster Warriors-Mavs. Yeah, like – I mean, you've had, you've had the We Believe team, but there's never been this, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's Golden State against Dallas. It's this rivalry. You, just, you can't – a California team can't have a rivalry – with a Texas team, unless it's Niners, Cowboys, and that was based off the players. Yeah. And everybody wants – everybody has a rivalry with the Cowboys. Uh, spoiler, the Shark-Stars rivalry is not a rivalry. <laughs> well, think about – and people are going to go, Niners, Niners, Cowboys. Cowboys have a rivalry with Washington, Philly, New York. They're the Cowboys. they got a rivalry with everybody. Yeah, and the Niners have owned them in the playoffs. It's not even a rivalry in the playoffs anymore, even though people keep trying to make it like it is. Um, but it's not. I mean, it's just every, it, every, everybody wants to have a rivalry with Dallas. Yeah, and you go and you go back to th- but th- but for us Arlington, there's not there's no there there. We've been in the same division for how many years, and there's no there there with Texas teams. Yeah, it's not like we we you know have the rivalry. We see Eric uh, Nadell and in, in the Rangers broadcasts, and we're like, get out of here. We don't like you. Like. This, there's no. And our well, fans. how about this? If the Astros never cheated, right, we would have no animosity towards the Astros. I I, I agree with that. There think, would be zero animosity if there wasn't the cheating scandal. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you might have the few fans that are mad that they won the World Series. That's what you're mad about? I mean, come on. No. There wouldn't be. The animosity is based off the cheating scandal. There's never been a greater financial gap in baseball history between the haves and the have-nots. Just think about this. Cody started guessing teams. One team just won the World Series. One team has the highest ticket prices in all of baseball. Cody just immediately went, because you think, yeah, how does a team who just won the World Series not a top-six payroll team? Not even close. Houston's going to come in 11th. Boston Red Sox have the highest tickets in baseball. They're 14th. The Chicago Cubs, pretty big market team, right? They're going to be 13th. I mean, teams that you would think, 13th. Angels have been spending a grip of money for years. They've got huge con. They're just 10th. 
So once again, you've got six teams that have payrolls of $200 million or more, and you got 11 teams that are under 100. Under 11 teams. The majority of your sport is under 100. This divide Does, is crazy. Do they list the 11? I can give you any. Who do you want? Uh, let's. Well, obviously. Nobody uh, wants to hear you do 11. Okay. Yeah. It's, no offense. But it's mainly going to be, you know. I'll normal. give you the last 11. Athletics, Orioles, Pirates, Rays, Royals, Reds, Guardians, Nationals, Marlins, Brewers, D-backs. There you go. That's all your teams in order. D-backs, Brewers, Marlins, Nationals, Guardians, Reds, Royals, Rays, Pirates, Orioles, A's. And the Rays just resigned a bunch of guys and gave up money. <laughs> all under $100 million. And then Pittsburgh gets over that. They're at 105.4. Pittsburgh. I mean uh, Detroit. I would say Pitt. <laughs> so there. So so then, two point six billion dollars. Two point six billion dollars was spent by seven teams in free agency. The other twenty three teams spent only eight hundred and seventy seven million. Seven teams spent two point six million on players. Seven. The rest of baseball, the twenty three only spent. 877. There's one more, too. It's, it's not in there. But the Tra Great Divide. Travis Sochik had in his article from the score, I think it was last week, the money that the Yankees gave Aaron Judge this offseason, what was it, $360 million, somewhere around there, uh, that's more money than three franchises spent combined in the last 20 years in free agency. It's crazy. It, it's – but – now, what does that – do you think that leads to success? And the answer actually is Yes. In the past six years, 10 of the 12 teams in the World Series ranked in the top 10 in payroll. Do you know what that percentage is? 83.8. You like to round up and down. So 84. That's 84. 84 percent of the teams in the World Series the last six years were a top 10 payroll team. That's, I mean, these numbers are like, wow. I, I mean, you think about it. It's like, wow. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the difference between the highs and the lows. And then you get back to what I said earlier. You've got at least 13% of your, of, your, of your teams going into the season with uncertainty. Why don't we hear baseball talking about this? You know, we always hear, you know, why is it? And, and we have to tread lightly, obviously. Because um, we have a lot of things that we need be baseball to help us with, no question. But it's just like, man, all I know is when I was working in the NFL, they had an issue in St. Louis, they had an issue in San Diego, and they had an issue in Oakland. All three of those cities had an issue at the same time. You know what they did? They took care of those issues. And now they don't have issues anymore. And it was like that. Interesting what happened to all three of them. All three of them. <laughs> they all left. They all left, and they all got uh, – became much higher in value. They all came became much higher in value. They went <laughs> – Raiders soared up the board in franchise wealth and what they're making. Crazy. I mean, look what the Rams are worth now, being at SoFi Stadium in the Los Angeles. But all I'm saying is – I was working in the NFL. I, I'll never forget my talk show. I know a lot of people were listening to it that night. 
because the uh, rival station didn't even they had no idea what was going on. But we had we were on it. Those owners meetings and how that went down were the owners in it was in Houston and the owners came out. They had that uh, seven or six owners on a committee who said the best thing is for the Chargers and the Raiders to do a joint stadium in Carson. That's what came out of the morning. And then they went all to breakfast or whatever, went to brunch, lunch, came back later on, and by late afternoon, nah, we're going to change that. It's going to be Rams in Los Angeles. So essentially Jerry Jones stepped in. And Rams, you're going to get Los Angeles. And then San Diego, you're going to have the option to move to L.A., and you got to do it by a certain time. And if you don't do it by that certain time, now the Raiders didn't have the option to move to L.A. I don't know how many people remember this. I was all over it as good as anybody in the country. Obviously, I was the Raiders guy on the Raiders station. We were all over it. We were having guests on or covering it from those owners' meetings in Houston. And what eventually happened as that time was running? So St. Louis immediately moves. San Diego has that option, and it was starting to run out. And the talks were still with San Diego. One minute. How often have we heard this? Talks are reopened. Talks are good. Talks have stalled. It's always this, where are we? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know what they did? San Diego said, you know what? We're taking the option. We're going to L.A. Well, then what happened? Well, then that meant now the Raiders couldn't go to L.A. And so now everybody felt the Raiders were what? Going to Vegas. No. Were you not following this at the time? I, but yeah, that was, in, what was that, 20? Yeah, it was. I was working with you. Well, not, I was working at the station with you. Everybody said they were stuck. Vegas wasn't even an option uh, yet. They were going down to San Antonio. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mark Davis was taking the uh, helicopter flight to uh, San Antonio. And everybody went, oh, that's. That's Jerry Jones to country. That's never going to happen. But San Antonio is a massive city population-wise. So San Antonio was looked at. But everybody here said the Raiders were stuck. Now they don't have it. They can't. The, the, the L.A. option's off the board because San Diego is now going to L.A. How'd that work out? Were they stuck? Is the NFL ever stuck? No. Has anybody ever made the NFL is ever like ah oh, they're gonna lose? Hell, Baltimore Baltimore Colts up in the middle of the night just left and went to Indianapolis. Mayflower Moving Company, <laughs> remember those trucks? Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis, and what they do? Ah, oh, they just put another team in Baltimore. They've been there a long time. Whole generation doesn't even remember that the Colts were there. They only know that the Baltimore Ravens have always been the Baltimore Ravens because they want, they came from Cleveland. It shows you how time <laughs> there will be a time, probably ten years from now, whatever. People, there'll be kids growing up in Los Angeles who don't even know. Like my buddy Mark Podesta, who you've met, used to run Frontier 40s, now down in Southern California. His son loves the Rams. He's a little kid, loves the Rams. His son's never even going to know that team was in St. Louis. You think Giant fan? You think Giant fans ever sit here and think about, you know, when the team was in New York? No, probably no. I've never all these giant fans. My my buddy, uh, all my buddies, uh, do you, uh, Ace fans. Are we ever sitting around going, let's talk about the Philadelphia days? You want to talk about the Kansas City? No, everybody just wants to talk Oakland, 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 San Francisco, San Francisco. 
Neither the A's or the Giants started here in the Bay Area. No. I mean, the Niners did. Correct. Giants didn't. A's didn't. But we don't worry about those past. So that's why it's like NFL doesn't lose. NFL makes sure they get their business done. And they're not going to get stuck. I just hope with our sport, which I care about, we'll take care of all these issues. Yeah, it's not good to have the – it is not good to have a team in a major market like the Angels not knowing. Artie, you in or out? Where are you? You selling? Because they got an issue. It's all around the same thing. They need a new ballpark. That Angels stadium, they redid it, but the guts of that stadium, that, stadium, that place is old. The place where we play, it's old. Dodger right. Stadium's old. It's old. Not that old. Yeah, it's it's re, they redid it. So I, I've been there since they've redone some of the renovations from the All Star Game. Yeah, they've redone it, but and that's not. Yeah, what what year was Dodger Stadium built? It had to have been in the sixties. Dodger Stadium was built in nineteen. It opened in nineteen sixty two. Yeah, we're sixty six. They're old buildings, but Dodger Stadium has aged far better. Angel Stadium. I'm going to say that's 60s, too. Angel Stadium opened in 1966. Huh? Same year the Kali was built. Yeah, these stadiums are old. Dodger Stadium, though, different. They're going to keep that, and uh, it's aged well. I mean, I – you got all, – all this stuff that we see, A's, Tampa, Anaheim, all about stadiums. Uh, Orioles thing, that's a whole different deal. I don't I don't want to talk too much about that because I don't I just I just know they've dropped the lawsuit between the two brothers. Peter Angelos is still alive, but he's not now he's ninety-three, I think I read. So he's not part of the day to day. But there's issues in Baltimore. Major issues. No ballparks. I've never been there. My wife's been there. It's oh, it's a, beautiful. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. But it's it's there's some interesting things going on in our game. That I'm sure New York, when they talk about New York, not Yankees, Mets, but the commissioner's office, not happy about that you'd like to be different. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. There's one number that I read that, and it's so insane about how good of a hitter he was that literally it's going to blow your mind. There's this one stat, and that's called a tease. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com joins us. Martin, that is a tease. I will have a stat about Henry Aaron that will blow every baseball fan's mind about how great of an offensive player he was. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I, I can't wait to hear that stat. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna stick around after this just to just to hear it from you, County. Well, of course, you work for MLB.com. We got this from MLB.com, so I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Um, you had an article on Jesus Aguilar. Tell me why 
I should I want to be excited about him. I, I want to like go back into my crystal ball way back machine and remember Frank Thomas when Frank Thomas was coming over from Chicago. Remember remember what Frank I don't know how old were you then? How old were you going into 2006 season? Uh, well, I, I definitely remember it. Uh, I think I was I was in high school, but but I definitely remember you know when he came over and had that resurgent year. So I mean, okay, I, so I, I when remember. he was coming here, though, he was coming. I mean, he was coming just not with some baggage. He was coming with luggage. Uh, he was known at that point as a bad dude. He was known as a player with bad feet. I mean, bad feet, bad attitude, declining, declining to, uh, career. Why would you even sign this guy? And it turned out all to be completely false. You know, it's it's like when the when the weather guy predicts doom and gloom and rain, and that, and all of a sudden you walk out and it's clear skies. That was Frank Thomas. He was a beautiful guy. He was a fantastic A. Uh, so you can't always judge a book by its cover. Sell me why Aguilar is going to be like that. Well, I can't. I can't guarantee he's going to be Frank Thomas resurgent, but um, I think there's signs there that that make it a good signing. You know, um, he's not. You know, he's only 32, so it's not like he's, you know, one of those players who it seems like he's, you know, on the complete downside of his career, washed up, trying to get one more year out of him. Um, if you look at his stats prior to last season, obviously last year was was pretty bad. Ended up getting released by the Marlins and and went to uh, Baltimore, and and it wasn't much better there either. Uh, but before that, he had some really good seasons with the Marlins. He was a consistent run producer, middle of the order threat. Certainly for a team that just lost Sean Murphy. I mean, you're looking for any type of thump you could get in the middle of that lineup. Right now, it's really only Seth Brown as a guy who's proven to be able to do that over the course of a season. You hope guys like Shea Langliers and, and maybe one or two others can step up and, and form, you know, a pretty solid middle of the, middle of the order. But Sus Aguilar has been there before. He's done it. Obviously, 2018 was the big year when he was an all-star. That's a few years removed from that. But even you look at 2021, um, his numbers are still pretty good with the Marlins. So, um, you know, he's, he's worked on some things this offseason. He talked to us about it. He's kind of looked to kind of rebuild his his stance at the plate a little bit. He was getting pitched high and with velocity a lot. He's trying to combat that. Um, but it still seems like he's, he's uh, you know, got something left in the tank. It's not like he's a guy who's, who's had, you know, a few years of really bad baseball. Last year it was bad. Um, but he seems committed to turning it around. Um, and unlike you mentioned with, you know, Frank Thomas coming with a little bit of baggage in terms of personality, it seems like this guy's a great personality. Um, he played for Craig Council and Mark Kotze. Obviously knows Council real well and um, heard, you know, really good reviews about him in the clubhouse. So, I mean, they're going to need some veterans in that clubhouse as well. And I think he's going to bring some leadership, especially for the younger Latin guys that the A's have coming up through the system who are going to make their major league debut or have played you know, last year a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be a really good resource in there. So I think kind of goes both ways. It's production on the field. They're hoping for a turnaround there, but also what he's going to provide in the clubhouse. I think it's going to be pretty valuable as well. Yeah, and that, what you just talked about, can be really big. Like we, you know, the makeup of the team, we've got more of an idea of what we had last year, but still this is another year where, there's a lot of unknowns and we could see a lot of players. And if there are a lot of young Latin American players, a guy like this can be so instrumental. I don't, I don't know how to put a value on it. I just know being in clubhouses all these years for these young guys that are making their journey into a new country and they've been stashed basically playing in minor league cities that are small cities uh, now you're coming to the big leagues and there's a lot of pitfalls when you get to this level. 
I just just talk really about that, what that means to have that veteran type guy that can help these young players. And we as fans like to think about it so much about helping them learn the ropes of the big leagues. Me from the inside will tell you it's more importantly how to help these guys, how to live their lives and to be safe and to make good decisions away from the field. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always important, especially um, like like we said, there's a lot of you know young Latin guys in there. Um, last year, you know, Elvis Andrus was the perfect guy for that. And once he left, there was really a void there in that clubhouse. There was nobody. They had a lot of Latin guys in there, um, you know, but nobody with a ton of big league experience. I think maybe Domingo Acevedo had the most experience of the group, and he had only been in the big leagues for about a year. So, um, you know, they kind of lacked that that type of leadership. I mean, there there was other veteran guys in there, like Stephen Bow and stuff like that, and, and they did help them out as well. But I think obviously, you know, without question, it helps when there's a guy in there who's, you know, speaks Spanish and has been in the league for a long time, knows how it all goes, knows, you know, the process of adjusting to a new country, to, uh, you know, buying a house, to, um, you know, establishing a life here in the United States and trying to stick um, in the in the major leagues uh, when you come over from another country. It can be it can be pretty scary at times, and to have kind of you know an example of a guy who has successfully done it and can kind of share that knowledge. It's going to be, you know, really important for them to have that around. So, um, you know, that, that's where Aguilar is going to help a lot, but um, you know, the A's feel like he's going to, he's going to bounce back with the bat as well. I think they think um, they look at the numbers and some, some uh, areas where they think he can improve on spring training with Tommy Everidge and Chris Crone. They'll work on trying to, you know, help his selectivity at the plate a little bit. He has been kind of a free swinger in the past, but you look at the walk rate and the strikeout rate and it's not, too far off from the major league average. So he hasn't been like, you know, a horrible, you know, free swinger. It's just a little tweaks here and there at the AC that they can kind of help out uh, this spring. And, and we'll see him in, in, you know, in about a week when the players and pitchers and catchers report. Yeah. And, and really this whole dynamic of first base, first base DH, it excites me because somebody's going to win jobs. Somebody's going to get at bats because they deserve it. You know, whether we're talking about Garcia, who we got to see a lot last year, who the A's acquired from the Yankees because they, you know, they ran out of room and couldn't put him on the 40 man, but obviously they liked him. Same thing with Noda coming over from the Dodgers. He's blocked by Freddie Freeman. So he was available rule five. Aguilar can play first base. Seth Brown, if we end up having young outfielders play well, Brown, Brownie's got to be in the lineup. He showed us he could play first base. So are you like me going, I don't know what the actual combination will be, but I feel like this is this first base DH will be a strength for the athletics this year. Yeah, I think it was definitely good last year. I mean, they went through 12 first baseman last year, which is crazy, um, but they do seem to have at least a little bit more of a defined group this year coming into spring. Like you mentioned, Garcia, um, Ryan Noda is going to get a chance. I think he's going to get a real chance. Um, maybe you see him in sort of a platoon with whether it's Garcia or, or Jesus Aguilar. I think Aguilar will play. He's probably going to split time between DH and first, but I think he'll probably end up playing a little bit more DH just so they can get, um, you know, some of the more athletic type uh, first baseman some, some chances there at the position. But um, it seems like they do have uh, more, like I said, more of a defined group there. Some guys with some promise. Um, you know, Garcia, we know the type of pop that he has. He just, you know, has to get a chance to play a little bit more often once he got that last year he started to hit a little bit more kind of kind of you know end of the year a little bit you know on a down note hitting wise but um, I think he showed them enough to get a, another good look this spring um, Noda they're really excited about it seems like 
And Seth Brown can play everywhere. I mean, we'll probably see him in the outfield. We'll see him at first base. We'll see him DH sometimes. So um, I think versatility, you know, it's always been a key with the A's, and especially this year, it seems like they got versatility all throughout the roster. You know, one of the biggest questions coming into spring training, kind of a tough one because we know the history and we know what's happened lately. But if I ask you, who is Ramon Laureano? What's your answer? Who is he? Who really is he as a player? Well, it seems like the last two years we've kind of tried to answer that question, right? And and it hasn't been, you know, we were expecting after after he came back from the suspension to see if he could turn things around. Last year, he didn't ever turn around. It seemed like, you know, he was getting injured a lot. And at no point in the season did he really feel like the Ramon Laureano of old. Um, he just was never able to kind of find a consistent stretch. Um so, I mean, it's a big year for him. I mean, he's got to prove himself um, to a lot of people, prove himself to himself as well, I think. Um, I know he was frustrated with the way his season ended. I mean, how could he not be? It was just, you know, it was, it was just bad being on a, on a bad team as well. I don't think that helped, you know, after so many years of being used to a team that's playing for something in contention for a playoff spot. Um, so I think that had an effect on him as well. I think it took a toll seeing, you know, guys get traded midseason. Um, so, it was just a bad situation for him last year. So I think, you know, obviously coming into spring, I mean, we always talk about, you know, a fresh start for guys. I think he needs to, you know, hit it, take it as just a reset button, reset himself and just come into a fresh start. You know, a lot of stuff was clouding him last year with the coming back from the suspension, having to answer questions about that. Um, so it just, it, it was tough for him. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, he's still, you know, since he's come back, like I said, he hasn't shown the Ramon Laureano of old. So, you got to prove that to everybody and he's going to get a chance to do it. I mean, he's not, he's no, nobody on this team is going to really threaten him for his spot. So, um, you know, if we get a chance to go out there and perform and, and see if he can find some semblance of, of who he is. He's still really young. Um, the physical tools are there. Um, it's just putting it back together again. And I mean, health is a big thing. I mean, he, it seems like he's only had really one year where he's been able to stay fully healthy over the course of the season. So um, that's always been a concern. Even his first year when he came up, he was battling some injuries. He just plays so hard. So it's just kind of trying to contain that and try to see if he could find something um, that could keep him, you know, out of the trainer's room for, for most of the season. Well, let, let's play the what if game. What if first base DH is that combination, however you want to put it, of Aguilar, Garcia, Noda. So they're taking up the majority of the spots. Seth Brown's going to play. So Seth Brown's been playing right field. I don't want to see him in center. That was, that was, that was, you had to, you had to put somebody out there. He, I mean, he's not a center fielder. I guess he could play left. Um, Estuary Ruiz is a player that they're really high on and they've been high on. And there's people who think this kid, it, it could be a budding star, especially in the new rules with the, the amount of stolen bases going up. Uh, whether it's a Connor Capel, Cody Thomas, I mean, there's all kinds of young players even though Thomas isn't as young, but there's all kinds of players out there. Only so many at bats, you know, what happens that let's, let's say Ruiz comes out here in spring training and he's just electric. What do you do with Ramon Laureano? If you're like Ruiz is this fee, we got him. He, he is center field for the future. What do you do with Ramon? Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I know around this time last year, there was, uh, you know, once the lockout ended, there was a lot of teams, interested in Ramon Laureano calling about potential trades. Um, I don't know what that, what that's looking like these days. Cause he's coming off such a down year. I don't know if the A's would want to move him this year, but I think, 
he's going to be a priority for them in terms of getting him in the lineup every day, especially start this season. Um, I think he probably moves to right field, which we saw a lot of it last year when they had Christian Pache up. And then you kind of saw him flipping back and forth from center and right after when Christian Pache got sent down. Christian Pache, by the way, also another, you know, big question mark this spring. But I was just um, going to ask you about Pache. I was going (laughs) to ask you if you could buy stock, you'd be buying low, buying low, trying to make some money here for worse. But uh, would you buy stock in Pache? I mean, it's so low. I mean, why not? I would, I would, I would take a chance on it. Um, but, but I mean, he's got a lot, like, like, I mean, he's, you know, he played winter ball this year and I, I couldn't really get a read if, if he made any improvements at all or not. The numbers didn't look great. I heard that he's been working on some hitting things and it did look, you know, a little better. Um, defensively he looked great, but we always know he's, he's looked great on, you know, defense. It's all about, can he hit a little bit? So, yeah. I mean, this is going to be a make, make or break for him in spring. I mean, if, if he, if he comes to spring and, and is hitting, you know, 200 or below, it, it, it's going to be hard for him to make this team. And he's out of options, so they're really going to have to make make a decision on him because they've got another guy, like you mentioned, in Ruiz, who they're very high on. They yeah. feel like he could be their everyday center fielder from day one. Um, that's how high they are on him. So um, with Pache, it's, it's crazy how, how, you know, the fall has been from last year to this year. Last year going into spring, we thought maybe this was a big piece of their future. And now it's kind of up in the air whether or not he's going to be in Oakland A you know, past this spring. So um, that's that's going to be a big guy to, to, to watch in terms of just can he show enough improvement at the plate to be, you know, a part of this team going forward. When do you head to uh, Arizona? I'll be the report date. So February 15th, I'll be out there first day. Yep. So it's getting close. Uh, I'm yep. sure you're starting to get ready from a standpoint, just not packing, but you're starting to get ready for, you know, what are my storylines? What do I want to hit early? Cause you have to produce a lot of content. If people don't know when you're a writer and you cover a major league baseball team, it's far different because during the season, you got your pregame notes, you got the game, and you got the postgame. It's kind of this, it's Groundhog Day. You do the same thing every day. In spring training, you got to come up with all this unique stuff, and especially a team like the Athletics. You've got all kinds of young players, guys that you need to talk about who are not on the 40 man who could help this team. It's a lot going on. Uh, what are some storylines you're looking at early that you know you're going to tackle for MLB.com? Yeah, I think obviously the the starting rotation is going to be like a like a big thing that we're going to cover throughout the spring. I mean, there's so many question marks. There's like ten guys competing for spots, and really, I don't think there's any real guarantees for for spots right now. I mean, Paul Blackburn had a good year, but he's coming off you know an injury that ended his season early. James Caprillion had so- shoulder surgery this off season. Both guys are expected to be in spring training and and pretty healthy, but but we don't know for sure until. You know, they actually, you know, get on the on the mound down there. Um, you know, Cole Irvin's gone now. So that was who we thought was going to be their opening day starter. Who's going to be their opening day starter now? We, we I don't think we really have any idea of that. Um, you know, Fujinami, who they just signed, obviously there was a big excitement over that, but we haven't seen him face major league hitters really. So that's going to be an interesting thing to follow. Rusinski coming over after a couple of years in Korea. And then all the top prospects they have there, Ken Waldachuk, who we saw last year. Um, you know, Kyle Muller, who they got from the Braves. There's so many guys, you know, vying for spots there. That's just going to, I think that's, there's enough there to, to produce 10 different stories on 10 different guys there. Um, and then you look at just, you know, other guys that are coming in, Shea Langoliers, how does he handle moving into a full, you know, full-time role as a starting catcher? Um, what do they do around the infield, third base, second base? You know, they got guys like Chase Peterson and 
Vladimir Diaz, newcomers. You know, can Jesus Aguilar show some signs that maybe a bounce back is is coming? That's going to be a big thing. Um, you know, the bullpen, who's going to be the closer? Um, I think there's a lot of guys who kind of showed that maybe they could do it, but they went through ups and downs last year as rookies. You know, they brought in Trevor May as kind of a, a veteran type guy. Um, he's got an interesting story. He's a, he's a fun guy to talk to. I remember when we talked to him earlier this offseason. So um, there's going to be no shortage of stories, which is great for me. I mean, I'll, I'll be busy all all spring for sure up until the end because there's always going to be, you know, plenty of, you know, question marks on this roster that got to be answered. And it's probably going to take all the way up until, you know, the final games of the Cactus League to kind of figure out how this roster kind of shapes up. And so many top prospects as well that are going to join them in camp, like Soderstrom, Geloff, kind of the future guys who we expect to see at some point in 2023 in Oakland. Um, they'll be in big league camp and, and getting kind of their feet wet with the major leaguers. And, um, you know, it's kind of be interesting. It's always interesting to see how they handle themselves. Soderstrom from day one has always kind of looked like a veteran, even when he was like 19 in camp. And now he's really close to, to reaching the big leagues. And he's obviously the guy who they feel can be kind of a cornerstone for this team. So, um, there's plenty of storylines here for sure. Yeah. And that changes everything at first base, right? Cause once, once he comes up, you plan, you plan on him being here for a long time. So that's kind of the, you know, we talk about Garcia and Noda and that whole thing, but once he comes up, he needs to, I mean, he's not coming up to get some ABs. If he's coming up, he's coming up to play every day or he should come up to play every single day. And that leads me to, and I know I could be wrong on this, um, I, I'm sure they would tell me I'm wrong on this, but I'm still not buying it. And I'm sticking with this. Jordan Diaz is a guy that's so young. They don't promote young. We haven't seen them really promote young in a long time. And last year he got promoted. And he was like, well, you know, why not? I'm not buying that at any time. They've net, they haven't been bad years, good years. They don't promote young, but when he's down there hitting 340. He didn't have a position. You had nowhere to put him. You didn't know where to put him. And what did he do? You brought him up. I think there's a reason they brought him up. I don't know where you're going to play him. I don't know how the plan will work. We'll see what he looks like in spring training. What does the body look like? Where? But to me, I think it speaks volumes that he was so young and they brought him up to the big leagues because he they know he can flat out hit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw it right away. It didn't, it didn't really take them much time to have to adjust. And, um, you know, when they went into the offseason, they, they they prepared a full plan for him. So they, they definitely are high on him. I mean, they, they they had some, you know, list of things that they wanted him to work on. One of them, as you mentioned, was what kind of shape he's in. He was a little bit, they feel like, um, you know, could be in better shape. So they put together a diet for him with the team and all that and, and had him stick to it. And, you know, from what I've seen, just based on, you know, videos that he's posted of workouts, he does look a little bit leaner. Um, this, this off season, he's cut some weight, maybe added some muscles. So, I mean, he'll be, you know, quote, you know, best, best shape of my life comes spring training, like everybody, but, um, it seems like he is, you know, taking it very seriously. And I think he knows, um, you know, the opportunity that he got last year to kind of get his foot in the door was big and he performed well. So, um, you know, I don't know where his, where his spot is on this year's roster. Like you said, there's a lot of infielders that they have middle infielders and he could get some time at first base as well. Um, he's played that in the minors. So. I mean, it's a little short for the for the position, but I think he could play it definitely. Um, but you know, I think finding where he can where he can fit best, second base, third base, first base. You know, I don't know if you want to DH him. He's he's so young. You want to maybe try to find a a spot for him first. But um, he's going to be a guy in spring who is going to kind of, I think, has to prove himself as well. But he's he's shown he's coming in with a little bit of an advantage that he's had. You know, 
some success already at the big league level, as we saw last year to end the season. All right. So you're going down to spring. You're going to be there a long time. You're very familiar with the Valley of the Sun. If somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm going to spring training for the first time, what's your advice for these fans as they come to the Valley of the Sun? Uh, well, especially around, you know, if you're coming to a spring training, it's, it's pretty close to Phoenix and everything. So um, Scottsdale is a good place to visit. There's a lot of, you know, good places in the area. If you're looking for restaurants, you know, if you're looking for entertainment, I think just taking in. Um, you know, the, the other sites outside of baseball, obviously, you know, you there's plenty of baseball around. If you want to hit the different camps, there's Cubs camp just right down the road. Um, the Giants aren't that far away. Um, there's plenty of plenty of teams to watch in addition to the A's. But I'd say go, you know, try to go out a little bit past, you know, you know, outer Arizona. Maybe I know I went to Sedona for the first time last year. That was awesome. I went there for a day and um, there's plenty of stuff to do in Arizona. And the weather's always, you know, nice and warm. So you don't got to worry about you know, rain or anything. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do out here for sure. Yeah. That's the one thing that, that I never do, but they tell me about it all the time. And our old buddy, Bob Melvin would talk about it. It's a great hiking uh, place. And Arizona is so interesting because all these towns, whether you're in Scottsdale, Mesa, Tempe, Fin, they all run into each other. And you never quite know when you're in one of them and you're out of the other, but yeah. like you can go up to Camelback mountain and hike and it's at the time of the year where the weather it's not 115 or 110 it really the hiking is legendary so you can do baseball during the day and in the late afternoon the beautiful sunsets you can do the hiking and the hiking's legendary yeah for sure and then after you're all done you hit downtown scottsdale maybe get some food get a bite get a drink there's like plenty to do and like you said it's it all intersects you don't know when you when you hit, you know, Scottsdale merge into Mesa, Tempe, it's all in one spot. So um, it's kind of a, a hub there for, for baseball fans. And I know, you know, whenever I, whenever I get a chance to kind of go out and, and, you know, get some food or something down there, there's always plenty of baseball fans out there. So it's a fun time. I, I definitely recommend it, especially if nobody's, if it's your first time going there, I think it'd be a, a fun experience for everybody. All right, buddy. Be well. We'll see you on the 21st when we arrive. Sounds good, Tony. See you down there. Well, now joining us from MLB.com, he does an absolute wonderful job covering our sport, and uh, we always love to bust out his book. Anthony Castrovince uh, joins us as one of the books that we have here in our library in studio with us that we always have around that I think is it's phenomenal for all baseball fans, a fan's guide to baseball analytics um, it just takes you through, it's got a lot of humor to it, but it really explains what these analytics are, why, why they're important, how they're implemented. And Anthony, I was thinking about it, you know, as we start to change in baseball, this might be something that this book, you can redo this book almost like over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> Uh, cause it's such a good book, but as these things change, there's so much you could add to it. There is, um, you know, I wrote it to be as evergreen as is humanly possible in our game, which is not very possible. You know, there's, there's always going to be adjustments. And, um, I think, um, like defense, for instance, since, uh, the book was completed, like outs above average on our uh, MLB.com's outs above average stat 
has gotten much better. At the time the book was released, infield outs above average had just come out. We had already had uh, outfield outs above average. Now we have infield as well. Um, I think catcher defense is is uh, still a really untapped area that could could improve. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, a, a lot of that book holds up in that the the very basics of um, you know what it means to be like league average, better than league average, worse than league average, and then just the parameters of that. Um, I, I think we've come a really long way in a short time in analytics, and I'm not suggesting that there's there's not more room to grow. I just named a couple areas of room to grow. You know, defense is the big one, but um, but I, I think when it comes to offense and pitching, I mean, I think we're in a pretty good spot in terms of a base level of you know this is what we have to work with. Well, and, and once again, I'll hold it up for fans. Fans, you can get it online right now, and you'll have it in like two days, three days. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it all at Barnes and Noble online. You can get it. And the key to reading it is it, it, it's a fast read, and you got about you got a little over a month before the season starts. So it could it's so I always say it was good for Christmas, but I think right now is we're getting into our, our baseball juices are flowing. We're getting sure. ready for spring training as we'll be down in Arizona by February 21st. Pitchers and catchers are reporting on the 15th for fans, Anthony. I think it's a, a great read right now to get you into the start of the season. Yeah, definitely. And I got to tell you, I, I turn to it myself sometimes still because even though I wrote oh, yeah. the thing, um, like the appendix in the back where, you know, that's one of the great values of it is um, – you know, we hear these numbers, uh, weighted runs created plus or OPS plus, ERA plus, uh, FIP, WHIP, et cetera. Um, what is a good WHIP? What is a bad WHIP? And um, to have those charts in the back and just have that, that framework. So when you see these stats, like, okay, put this into context for me. I think the book does a good job of that to toot my own horn, if I may. Oh, no, you know, we, I, we always, I, I love bringing it up because I really, because people ask all the time. I, I appreciate that. And you know what? People are afraid of analytics. Because people mm -hmm. just, let's face it, you want to go to the ballpark, you want to have a beer, you want to have a sausage, you want to sit there and you want to watch the game, you want to be entertained, you want to get in your car and you want to go home. You want to watch our show uh, if you're an A's fan or, you know, we have a lot of Major League Baseball fans in the Bay Area and people outside the Bay Area who watch or listen to this show. But it's entertainment, right? You want to, you don't want to think about your job, you don't want to think about your bills, you don't want to think about your issues. And then all of a sudden, you want to make this complicated on me by throwing in all these math <laughs> equations? Cause that's what they are. You could see how people go, eh, this, that, you know, we need to help people realize, no, this can be incorporated into your entertainment part. This can be fun for you too. I think the key is you know, it's, it's called analytics. And I think, uh, you know, what it is is information. If you think of it in that way, it's just information as opposed to an analytics somehow seems like a scarier term than information. We all want information. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think as, as fans of any sport or of any entertainment product, I mean, we, we want information. If, if we're movie fans, we want to know the next movie coming out, you know? Um, and that's what analytics is, is information. Uh, it's just a different way of presenting information. And that's what I try to get across in the book is that the basic concepts are the same. We, we want to look at stats because we want to know who is good, who is bad. You know, <laughs> we want to know, is my guy, you know, how, how does he compare to the rest of the league? Um, we used to do that with batting average, and I explain why that's not you know, as effective a tool as it could be. Um, you know, batting average, ERA, wins, et cetera. Um, and, yeah, these are weird terms to us who grew up with those, you know, traditional metrics, but it's it's the same thing. It's just, it's just 
trying to get information and, and trying to relate how a player performs relative to the rest of the league. This is a, a, an interesting year. All of them are, but this one really is, you know, it started with actually in December of 2022 when we were down at the winter meetings and the sport's back, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. back. The sport is officially back. We're, we're, we've moved on from COVID. We're having a full year. We were just down in Arizona for fantasy camp. That was back and going. We're now going to have spring training. We're ready to rock. And you yeah. just think about where the game is. Uh, we're having major changes with rules, which is going to mm-hmm. be interesting. Some may work, some may not, but we're seeing change like other sports have. Uh, right now, we have a top-heavy sport where you got teams that are spending a lot of money. We're going for it, and you got too many teams that are not. And I'll admit, we're one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in an interesting time. So when you look at some of the top storylines going into the season as a national columnist, what are you most interested in? The rule changes are the number one story in MLB, hands down. Um, it's it's the biggest sea change to the rule book outside of the pandemic year where we had all those pandemic protocols and whatnot. Um, you know, in the modern era, I would argue uh, you could maybe compare, uh, you know, coming off the year of the pitcher where they lower the mound uh, and adjust the strike zone. You know, that was that was a pretty big change as well. And, and it showed in the statistics. But um, in, in terms of something that's going to have long term staying power and really change uh, just the rhythm of the sport, uh, really return the rhythm of the sport to something it used to be, uh, it, you know, that's what this does. I, the pitch timer is a huge uh, and a necessary, I would say, change for the game. So I'm really excited that's come at the big league level. I've seen it quite a bit in the minor leagues. I actually just saw it over the weekend at a, at a college tournament where they were. Uh, training the people who are going to be running the boards, the pitch timer uh, consoles. And um, it, it's just, it, it, it really brings baseball back to a rhythm that I, I think we grew up with. Um, so there's that and, you know, the defensive shift limitations, the bigger bases, et cetera. So all, all that, you know, just the adjustment to that. And it'll be fascinating to see, you know, the effects of each of those changes. That's number one story in MLB. Um, and then from a team, you know, competition perspective, um, you know, you got some loaded teams in the National League, and, and obviously the Mets have um, probably dominated the winner more than any other team in terms of just uh, being a talking point. And some of that was something they didn't get done with Carlos Correa, but uh, they did get a lot done. So, you know, can they live up to uh, what is essentially a World Series or bus situation just as a function of how much money they spent? Um, you got the Padres in, I would suggest, a, a World Series or bust kind of mode because – um, that team could look a lot different a year from now if Manny Machado opts out and Snell and Darvish will be free agents. So, you know, they made the huge signing to Xander Bogarts and get Tatis back from his suspension. And, you know, it'll be fascinating to see if that team can live up to its potential. But, um, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that. But, uh, you know, those, those are the ones that jump out to me. I think the na- the top of the National League is, is, I think, so much more dynamic than the top of the American League, where I still think it's the Astros league to lose I, th- I still think they're clearly the best team in the league um whereas in the national league you got a handful of clubs that, that could really duke it out just think about this we are the entertainment business and sometimes people forget that and when i was growing up running was a big part of the game for god's sakes yeah. on our desk right here ricky henderson the all-time stolen base leader scored more runs than anybody else my man jose canseco who was the first 40 40 man of all time we, 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 we've addressed it on this show going, you know, 40-40 could be back. Yeah. And I was asking the question, with the new rules, 
what's going to be easier, getting the 40 dingers or the 40 stolen bases? You'd immediately would say 40 home runs. Only four guys hit 40 more home runs last year. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering the stolen base. I mean, we used to have Vince Coleman and Tim Raines and yeah. obviously Ricky Henderson. Are we going to start seeing guys with 30, 40 stolen bases, guys, you know, the true base dealers back up to 70, 80? Do you think we could see that right away? I don't know about 70, 80. I, I think what the math, uh, what the data suggests from the minor leagues, if we were to apply a – the minor leagues, first of all, have uh, a, a more heightened stolen base environment as it is. So they're working off of a different base than the big league level. But if you if you apply it uh, the numbers to the big league level and adjust for that, I think you get to like where we were in the early 2000s which is pretty, you know, that's a big improvement from where we've been in the last 10 plus years uh, where the stolen base has really gone away. Um, you know, for those who don't know, the pitch timer is married to a, a, a limitation on the number of pickoff attempts you can make before you're charged with a balk. You can only make two. Uh, if you make a third, you have to get the runner out or you're charged with a balk. So, um, <laughs> you know, that that inspires some more aggressive leads. And we saw that in the minor leagues that we saw on average uh, a half uh, stolen base attempt more per game last year than, you know, prior to the pitch timer. Um, and we saw a 10% jump in stolen base success rate. If you, again, if you can apply that to the big leagues, it, the, the game looks a lot different because then you have a better pace and you have more action on the base pass. And, and that could also work in conjunction with the defensive shift limits. So now maybe you have more base hits than you used to have. Now you have more guys at first base and they're taking bigger leads and they still have more bases. And now it's just a more viewable product. When they, when MLB set about uh, to look into what they could do from a rules perspective, they did all kinds of surveys of what do fans want to see. And the number one thing fans want to see is just action and athleticism. They want to see action on the base pads. They want to see athleticism in the field. So you should have that, you know, the defensive shift limits force the middle infielders to be more athletic, you know, as opposed to just being positioned where the ball is going to be hit, they're going to have to get to the ball. And, uh, and, you know, it inspires more base running, um, you know, does the pitch timer. So uh, I'm excited to see what that could mean long-term. Yeah. Two things on that first defensively, you know, I remember thinking about the Dodgers not too long ago where when you shift as much as people started to shift on right hand, we were so used to left-handed batters being shifted. Now mm-hmm. we're watching right-handed batters yeah. being shifted. Well, because Seager and Turner for the Dodgers had no range, right? Mm-hmm. So if you shifted right. everybody over, it, you know, you're playing more, you know, balls at Turner and Seager are okay. It's going, mm-hmm. it's going laterally where they're not right. very good, right? So you protected them, but you wanted their bats in the lineup. Um, how many guys now, and we'll throw Seager cause he wasn't very good defensively last year's first year in Texas. We got to see that as we mm. really got to see him more than ever before. But how many guys that are big bats that we, we protected with shifts now get yeah. exposed defensively. Yeah. And we do, I mean, we have some big shortstops, you know, we're in an era of, of big productive shortstops and they'll be tested more by this. I think the bigger adjustment is at second base. I think we've seen some teams really try to, I remember when Mike Moustakis played second base, right? Uh, you know, so I mean, we've seen some teams take some some real gambles there that they were in a good position to take with a extreme shifting. And now that's gone away. You can't, you can't play Mike Moustakis at second base anymore. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, 
I, I think there, there's more demands on, on the second baseman now, um, you know, because you, you're not shading uh, your shortstop over to the right-hand side against left-handed batters like you otherwise would. So there, there's more pressure on the second baseman. And it's a tough position to play anyway, you know, the double play pivot and all that stuff. So, um, so the value of a, you know, a rangy athletic second baseman is, is more pronounced. Um, you know, a, a guy like Kemp there in Oakland is, he's a good defender. You know, he had a bad offensive season last year, two years ago, he had a really good offensive season. You put that together, it's a really good player. Um, but I, I think about, you know, maybe teams are more willing to swallow the, you know, difficulty on the offensive side. Now, if it's a guy who can deliver for you with the glove at second base. You know, if we take a page out of the NFL or the NBA's playbook, and we know that styles make fights, one of the things that's interesting about all these great fights and battles inside the NFL is with different quarterbacks, you have different styles, right? You can have a wide open with Patrick Mahomes. You can have a wide open playbook, and it's just amazing. And then you got a team like the 49ers, who are going to pound you. They got a running game and they got great defense. You have different styles of how to win. Same thing in the NBA. You could be a big three point team or you could still, you know, play to your big man down. I mean, there's different ways to play baseball. It seemed like all 30 teams are all trying to play the same way. Three true outcomes, home runs, walks, stolen bases, maybe just maybe like when we were growing up and you had like the St. Louis Cardinals where where Tommy Herr could have 114 RBIs, but only nine home runs. And you had all these Cardinals running the bases and, (laughs) you know, different ways to play makes it more exciting that not everybody looks the same. Hopefully we'll see that. Are you looking forward to that and hoping that we will see that different ways to win baseball games? That's a, that's a great point. Um, yeah, just a, a personality to teams. We've seen that in, you know, I, I think about the Royals in 2014, 2015, back-to-back pennant winners and, and World Series winners in 2015. They had definitely had a personality. You know, they they ran the bases like crazy. They put the ball in play. Uh, they played really good defense. And they were somewhat of an outlier. I think the, the Giants, you know, those those Giants teams were, were kind of similar, you know, really strong in the bullpen, put the ball in play, et cetera. Um, last year, uh, the Cleveland Guardians got a lot of ink for just – putting the ball in play in a time making when not contact. many people were doing that. Yeah. Making contact. What a concept. And now that, <laughs> now that skill is, is more valuable because of the defensive shift restrictions. So I do think you've seen uh, teams starting to look into that a little more where teams are always going to go towards uh, where the, uh, you know, the, the outlier is or, or what is kind of going against the grain. And we did get a, a rut there, I think for a while, where it was very much home run walk strikeout. And I think teams have uh, maybe targeted some guys higher than the other guys would have, you know, from a contact perspective in recent years. So you'll start to see that come to the big league level. Um, And yeah, I mean, the game got very homogenous, you know, to your point, Um, very power oriented. And now hopefully, you know, we'll see a shift. It won't be every team. I mean, the New York Yankees aren't going to be contact oriented. (laughs) They're going to be, they're going to be power oriented. They're going to be Aaron judge oriented. Uh, but I, I think for smaller market or mid-market teams in particular, that's 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 a place where you could gain ground on clubs is if you're good in that department. The Guardians were a perfect example of that last year. Well, every single day we get the email of all of everything that's going on MLB.com. So we're very fortunate on looking at what all of you guys are doing. But for our fans, love reading you. What do you have coming up getting getting us ready for spring training and ready for the start of the season? 
No, man, this is a busy time of year. All kinds of all kinds of stuff. I mean, for one, we talked about the rules changes. That's kind of been my baby uh, the last uh, year, really. Um, and particularly, you know, in this offseason as we just start to just educate fans about what they're going to see. And I'll have a I'll have an article about the the field timing coordinators and what that job entails. That should be up any minute now, actually. Um, I'll have my annual all underrated team, uh, guys who tend to not get the the national love who might be worth a closer inspection. Uh, we'll do our annual list of, of the winter winners as if that means anything. <laughs> Usually it's a curse uh, to be at the top of that list. But um, but yeah, the, the teams who, who made the most noise this winter. Um, and yeah, just general spring training preview stuff. If you're a fan of a particular team, I mean, we're going to have you covered here. You know, in short order, we're going to have a lot of content uh, pumping out from from each camp. So it's an exciting time of year. Wait, wait, rewind that field time coordinator field. It's the field timing coordinator. So the positions actually existed for several years because we have had, you know, the clock on between innings breaks, mound visits, um, pitching changes, you know, but it was a pretty low profile job. It wasn't much to it. Now there's a lot to it. Now that's a really important person in the ballpark uh, because <laughs> yes. that person has to be on every pitch. And, uh, you know, when the pitcher receives the ball from the catcher, when the pitcher goes into his motion, this, the clock stops. Um, when, you know, they are basically the arbiter of when a play is dead. And now now we're counting down the 30 seconds to the next batter. So it's a pretty big spot. They're actually going to be in um, direct communication with the umpire throughout the game. They're going to have a headset. And if the umpire, um, the umpire will have hand signals during innings uh, to them if they need to reset the clock or, or you know, whatever they need to do. Um, and then between innings, they can check in with each other. So it's, it's kind of, this person is kind of an extension of the umpiring crew in a way. Um, they are not billed as such, but, but they really are an important, uh, it's a really important job. Well, and I was asked this question and I went, well, we're going to have to wait and see, but with all this enforcing time and enforcing new rules, do umpires have more responsibility than ever before? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a few of them over the weekend about that. Um, that's a really difficult job. Uh, it's become even more difficult in an era with crazy velocity and crazy movement. And it's harder than ever to call balls and strikes. I think that we as fans yelling at our screens get spoiled by, you know, this electronic box we have to work with and, uh, and, and probably overlook just how tough that job is. Um, but now you're adding all kinds of new wrinkles to that job. And I think the biggest takeaway when you step back is just the, it's the same thing for that field timing coordinator for those three hours or whatever the game is, there's no break for the umpire. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm not saying, uh, you know, pity the poor umpire. They, they signed up for this, but um, you know, the between innings breaks are, are pretty much their only chance to catch their breath. But even then, as I mentioned, you know, they'll be checking it with the field timing coordinator. As, as one umpire told me, you know, the days of kind of chatting it, you, the umpire was in the field kind of chatting up with a coach. Um, that's going away. There's no more, hey, what'd you have for dinner last night? Where'd you guys come from, et cetera. It's because they're going to have to be policing the defensive shift limits and, and making sure the infielders properly positioned on every pitch. Um, the home plate umpire is going to have to be monitoring the clock on every pitch. So, uh, you know, hang with them. It's a, it's a much different job in 2023 than it was even in 2022. No doubt about it. And I always like to bring it up. Uh, we, we talk about your book, even when you're not here for all baseball fans, it's a great book to read 
right before spring training and right during spring training, a fan's guide to baseball analytics, just kind of get you up to date and what you need to know for the season. It's great stuff. We always love having you on the program. You know, we read you on MLB.com. You do a great job. Let's talk soon. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me, sir. Anthony Castrovins from MLB.com. He's uh, he's terrific. Uh, let's bring Steven on from The Athletic. Steven, uh, now that we have the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, uh, and we are, and and uh, your colleague Jim Bowden had the article about realignment, changing everything, and people have been very worried about uh, about expanding playoffs. Do you think the NFL is going to be okay through all this time when they've expanded through playoffs? They've done, yeah, they've done okay. We actually just did um, a series a couple weeks ago looking at four of the potential expansion cities. Uh, I wrote about Portland and Montreal. My colleague Andy McCullough wrote about nashville and uh, las vegas so interesting stuff to look at jim was sort of a companion to all that yeah uh, but no i think expansion has worked out generally pretty well although baseball it wasn't too long ago that they were talking about contracting a couple teams in the early 2000s it was montreal and minnesota and that that never quite got across the finish line but uh, i think baseball will be okay well and i think we're gonna survive uh we're gonna survive with a dh in both leagues because a lot of people were calling my show telling me baseball wouldn't survive that I guess my call didn't get through. I was, I've always been a, a big proponent of DH. I grew up in Michigan watching uh, Tigers teams that were bad enough with uh, pitchers staying on the bench and not hitting. And so after a bunch of years watching National League uh, games in Pittsburgh, I don't need to see a single more, <laughs> single more game without a DH. I would always say, listen, high school, college, minor leagues, American League, everybody has the DH but the National League. Everybody's doing it down to high school, so relax. We're all going to survive. Uh, very interesting how you mentioned it because Jim puts in Charlotte and Nashville. We know Nashville's getting a team. I, I, I do a lot of work with uh, our, our A's Hall of Famer, Dave Stewart. His, his group already has the money. Everything's in set. Nashville will be getting a team. It's where will the other team go? Obviously, we're flirting with Vegas. Uh, looking at how Toronto – the way Toronto was lumped in here in their group, because they're kind of staying more towards the Midwest than the East, as the Blue Jays, they were going to be, they were going to be with the group that's the the Ohio group. They would be with the Reds and the Guardians and the Tigers. That makes sense because Detroit and Cleveland are so close to each other. You throw the Jays in there, but if you brought Montreal back into this thing, wow, that really, that really, or you brought Portland in it. That would really change, wouldn't you say, how we look at the East or how we look at the West? Yeah, that would throw a bit of a wrench into it. Um, I'm looking at it right now um, on our site. And, yeah, Montreal would definitely complicate things. I, I don't really look at Montreal like it's that realistic of an option. I just don't think the, the current group, having just written about it, the current group on the ground isn't real interested in having a full-time team. And so another, basically another group is going to have to emerge, another uh, potential ownership group will need to emerge if they're going to flirt with an expansion and collect an expansion fee and, and all that goes into getting a team and getting a new ballpark, which they need as well. So you're right. Nashville does seem like a more likely option there and it does fit into this, this footprint a little bit easier. We, I, we, we love your article where we're looking at the wild card era and, you know, I've been telling people the wild card era actually started in 94, but we had the labor strife, so we didn't have the playoffs. So our first wild card teams came after that. But it really is 1994 when it started. And, you know, it, professional sports is a what have you done for me lately. But it's actually nice to go back and look at, okay, 
let's see how teams have done. And you gave it a scorecard. You got positive points. You got plus points. You're in the World Series, win the World Series, league championship, division, wild card. You get minus points if you stink. And if you stink for uh, multiple years, talk about doing this, going through the process. And I got to think it was a lot of fun to do. It was. I'm someone who loves looking back at baseball history and looking at things with a little bit of context instead of just the, what have you done for me lately? Uh, This is something I first tried a year ago and it was very popular, but people had some thoughts, some ideas. One of them was that um, winning the World Series was was, uh, a little overvalued, if that can be a thing. Um, So it was worth 11 points where losing the World Series are worth six. Um, No, five, I'm sorry. And in my mind, winning the World Series and losing the World Series, which is still winning a pennant, aren't you know, one's not half as valuable as the other one. And so that was one of them was to sort of tweak the numbers values a little bit. Um, uh, you can look at those on, on the story as well. But the other one was people wanted, uh, didn't want someone sneaking in with a wild card to be just as valuable as winning division. So we gave a, a plus point for that. And then if you, uh, people want to address tanking and they want to address tanking really hard, Chris, like they, they want to, um, if, <laughs> I you agree. Average, <laughs> if you ask like the average person, how I should grade this, um, from, from the comments, they would probably say like negative one for 90 losses, negative two for 100 losses, negative three for 110 losses. And my response is like, how bad do you want the Pirates to look here? Because yeah. they're, already, they're already at negative four. And if you if you get even more harsh, um, it's going to be uh, – not, it's not undeserved, but it's just uh, there's going to be a hole they can, they can never climb out of. So that was a little bit of the reshuffling we did this year. But I, I love it. I love going back uh, in history and looking um, a bit. I was born in 91, so my baseball – following lifetime is really kind of that that wild card era we're talking yeah, about yeah um last year we we first looked at the um 30 team era from 98 until present and we said this year it makes a little more sense to go back and we'll just credit the rays and, and diamondbacks uh for the for uh or won't 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 knock them for the time they missed uh, but it's interesting it's really interesting to add in the the stretches of losing where if you lost 90 games um in consecutive seasons or three in a row or four in a row you're going to get docked points uh that impacts some teams hugely the my tigers who i followed growing up who were horrible 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 in my childhood the uh the royals the uh the rays certainly at the start of their their time so um that did add another element to the rankings well i i like it because our fans are always what have you done for me lately and our fans will always be yeah but because i'll have to say listen yes haven't been to a World Series in a long time. Haven't won one and been and haven't been one since 1990. Haven't won one since 1989. But you've actually been in the playoffs a lot, despite all the hurdles and all the issues. We've been in the playoffs a lot, and their answer is all the time. But yeah, when we got there, we didn't do anything. And I go, okay, that's fair. But that's what this scorecard allows you to know. Like you know. Were you surprised when you added up, we're top 15, we're in the top half, not the lower half. And obviously, if in any of those years, the A's would have made a run and maybe made a couple league championship series and made a World Series, we'd easily be top 10 and sniffing in the top five. Yeah, I I was surprised a little bit um, as I added them up uh, because so much of this was an exercise of of consistent – uh, performance, consistent success, consistent failure on the, on the part of a, a number of teams here. And you're going to get credited and you're going to get docked based on that. And the A's have been consistent, even if it's not as positive as people want. Early playoff exits are always going to hurt. Um, they're going to sting. They're going to stay on that, that resume. And they're hard to, hard to shake. I mean, you ask, uh, you ask the Twins similar things. But if you can be a team that over the course of 28 years 
I'm looking at 90 lost seasons, one, two, three, four, and coming off of one currently, only two of those in a row. That's um, that's like some pretty livable baseball, I think, as a baseball fan. Um, it's not suffering through 100, 110 losses, um, you know, frequently in these sustained tanking stretches. Tanking has, has worked, unfortunately, I think, for the game. But uh, but I think there is some real value to that. But I understand that fans would, would certainly like to to have made deeper runs. That's that's sort of the next step, right? Once you make the playoffs, you need to learn how to make it uh, deeper into the playoffs. Yeah, you think about the Pirates being under 500 for 20 straight years. It's like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for them. It's such a great uh, baseball city. And then I think about the Yankees. You know, Buck Showalter started this whole thing with the Yankees, and then a guy named Joe Torre comes in, and everybody – I mean, as you said, you were born in 91, so you don't remember this. You might have read about it or, or seen uh, documentaries on it, but no one wanted Joe Torre. Joe Torre was like, wait a minute. This guy has not been successful as a manager. Put him back in the broadcast booth. We don't want him. Well, that didn't age well because next thing you know, it all turns around. This young core coming up becomes great players. You got Jeter. You got Posada. You got Mariano Rivera. You got Pettit. And then they got the older stars. And really in the wild card era, the Yankees have been to the playoffs basically every single year almost. I mean, it is amazing. Their scorecard, when you think of just the wild card era, when you say is truly amazing, you see this is when you actually look at the – definition of what's a dynasty in the in the uh in the dictionary i mean you're not gonna have decades decades and decades and decades but in the in the sports world this would truly be world series all the different i mean they're in the playoffs every year this is what a dynasty is yeah putting the scorecard together a year ago was just a, a great reminder of how ridiculous that run they went on was and and look we can look back at the reasons that it worked and a big reason is all the all the money they spent um, before everyone else was willing to spend that much, but um, but and 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 I think the chief complaint I've gotten here is people would like to see more of a, a recency bias. Uh, they would like that maybe it be weighted in a way that a World Series today means more than a World Series in 1998 and nine and ten and uh, 2000. Wait, why? Um, they because they want this to be they want okay. The, what people want is for this ranking to feel like how they feel about. Um, about the, what the ranking of franchises should be, which is the Yankees are good. They haven't been the best, right? The Dodgers maybe have been the best. The Astros recently have been the best, which true, they have been. And I included the rankings for the last 10 years, which say in the last 10 years, the Yankees are smack in the middle, right? They're 17th, I think, uh, in baseball. So there, if you want your recency, that's that's what the Yankees ha- uh, what's what the Yankees have been in the last decade. Um, and the best team in baseball has been the Dodgers. I think it's somewhat somewhat obvious to most people, certainly in the National League. Um, but the Yankees, what they what they did there for the for the for this exercise, we can't discount that. And uh, to make the playoffs twenty four times in twenty eight years, oh. come on, that's that's what what any other fan base would absolutely um, go crazy for. But it's it's the expectation there, and it's it's not a pat on the back so much for them. It's it's expectation, and I guess good for them that they've built that. Well, it is kind of our society. Everybody wants everything now, and they want to see it now through the lenses of right now, but. That just because you're great for four, you know, we want to we want to call a team that's good for five years a dynasty, right? And it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, to be a, to be a legitimate dynasty, you look at like 
what UCLA basketball did for all those years, or the Montreal Canadiens in hockey, or the Boston Celtics, where you you have a period that's well over 10 years. People don't want that. People want it now. They want to say a couple of years, and you're a dynasty. It's like, whoa, a true dynasty is you've got to be good through change, not the same manager, not the same player. I mean, the Yankees have had three different managers. They've had all these different players. They've had all these different guys, and to remain – competitive in the playoffs, winning divisions, going to the playoffs. is, is It's just – it's amazing. And I don't care about the money. You still got to play the games. You still got to win the games. I, I And I hate the Yankees. I'm an, I, We're Yankee haters. I just have the ultimate respect. Like, when you look at the scorecard, and you, you set the parameters, you set the rules, you set the wild card error, and that's what we have to go by. Yeah, and I think there's something to – there's something to a refusal to be – a to be an embarrassing product that, that some, some organizations have gotten and some organizations I think have accepted that, you know what, we're going to put a product, the pirates who I've covered extensively over the years have put themselves in a position where we're going to tank. We're going to be bad. The Astros did it and it worked. The Cubs did it and it worked. And uh, there are teams like the Yankees, like the Cardinals are another one that said, no, we're going to, we're going to be a, a team in the running every year. And, and uh, it requires a lot of things to get there. And it's easy to say you want to do that. It's hard to actually commit to that, but, for the Yankees to have not even had a losing season since 1995, that's um, that's that's something that's special. Even with all the excuses people can give for why the Yankees did it, you know, a different way or in a way that not every franchise could. Yeah, let, let's reward people for never trying to lose. Let's re- like let, let's reward people who say every single year we're about excellence. We may not win it, but we're trying. There's something to be said by somebody who never takes a step back when they're, they're, they're trying to win, right? If you're trying to win and you take a step back, things happen. Injuries, age, bad luck, whatever. But the whole idea that we're going to applaud teams who go through a complete dumpster dive and basically diminish their brand, diminish their fan base, and then all of a sudden they get good and people want to say, well, they're the model. I, I just don't agree with that. I think we should celebrate, as you mentioned, the St. Louis Cardinals. They have been a model of consistency. The Yankee, I like, for the most, the Red Sox, they've had their time. But for the most part, they've been good. I respect that. They, you have some franchises that have said, we're not going to go through the dumpster dive. We're, we have too much pride to do that, and I respect that. And you know what? I respect that just not from a baseball standpoint, but how you run your operation and your business. Yeah, and another thing that jumped out to me when I was looking at these numbers was, like you mentioned, we were deducting a point for every consecutive 90 last season. Um, and the Yankees and Cardinals were the only ones who didn't have any 90 lost seasons, but there were five teams and they were a little unexpected to me that didn't get any points deducted, meaning they didn't ever have uh, consecutive 90 lost seasons, which was uh, Yankees, Red Sox, as we kind of expected, the Cardinals, and then the Blue Jays and the Angels were the other two. Angels, uh, for as much grief as they get, uh, they have been consistently okay. Um, we're probably only looking at, I think, six playoff seasons, seven playoff seasons over the course of the years, but they're stuck in the middle. I guess the middle is not the best place to be, especially in this day and age where that doesn't mean high draft picks and all that. Blue Jays are another team that actually just hasn't made the playoffs hardly at all until 2016, I think, was when they got back, back into the running. But interesting to look at the teams that have had sustained um, sustained okayness. And uh, I guess su- success is one way to say it, but I'm sure they'd love for, for a little more, uh, definitely some more playoff appearances uh, despite not having any deductions. 
Well, the article is 2023 MLB Wild Card Era Franchise Rankings. Where does your team belong? We say it all the time as Eno Saris comes on this show weekly. We have a lot of guys from The Athletic, and it doesn't matter if it's baseball, football, basketball, sports in general. I know a lot of soccer, hockey, but The Athletic is fantastic journalism. I think everybody should subscribe. I know people get freaked out about subscribing to stuff, but it is worth it. It's the best journalism we, best journalism we have going, and I respect it. Thank you so much for your time. Let's have you on again and keep doing a great job. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. And a man who has traveled the entire country over and over again. Glenn, how are you? Hi, Tony. How's it going? Uh, We were just talking about this article that's come out that has said once we get going with uh, Oakland being ready for a stadium, Tampa ready for a stadium, and expanding to 32 teams, what it could look like with full-on realignment. And we went over it, and I thought, you know what? The list is actually pretty good to where travel would be cut down. We'd actually be using real good geography to place people and where they need to be. And I was also saying Mm -hmm. you could have some incredible road trips for the fans when you have – two straight series in New York, two straight series in Chicago or Southern California could be epic for fans. Yeah. And I, we're probably talking about the same article. Um, I saw, I think it was in the athletic and it's terrific. Um, Yeah. It's interesting. You know, listen, it's going to happen. I mean, the 32 teams that that's 32 is sort of the perfect number, you know, for as far as having the right amount of, of teams, in, in the league, whether it be NFL, NBA, it just, it just fits, right? Uh, 16 and 16, you know, uh, four divisions of eight, eight divisions of four. There's so many different things you can do. But, um, yeah, I, I saw it, and, and, and I liked it. I did. I liked it. You know, I think there's, there's going to be maybe some, some feedback on the elimination of American League and National League. Yeah. Um, you know, but but that's you know, is that worth it? I mean, you're just really going to almost like football, where you have the Western Conference, you know, Eastern Conference. I don't know. I don't know how how that would all work out. But to me, that's sort of minor stuff compared to the things you were talking about and and how great it would be. I'm with you. Cubs and White Sox together, same division. Oh. Giants. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, 
The only problem that we have is that somebody's got to take the Rockies. It's just it, it is what it is. But we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll swallow the Rockies. We'll we'll swallow it. We've seen a good Denver Oakland matchup with the Raiders and the Broncos. It yeah. can live. You grew up in Wisconsin, the great state of Wisconsin, and I love this Midwest because you got Cubs, White Sox, then you throw in Brewers and Twins. I mean, take us through, take us through that perspective because we already know the great rivalry of the Green Bay Packers is the Chicago Bears. <laughs> well, I think I think yeah. I mean, and you could say that about a lot of these, which would be four team divisions. But that's a perfect example. I mean, the two Chicago teams is great, and then you know you know Milwaukee, Wisconsin people hate Illinois people, vice versa. <laughs> Minnesota people don't like Wisconsin people. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, that's a perfect example, but you're going to get that, um, you know, you're going to get that in pretty much all of these divisions, right? I mean, Giants and A's and, and Dodgers and Angels and Padres. And I mean, you could go on and on. I think it's pretty cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm for these changes. I really am. Um, because not only do I think it's, it's, it's progress, even though, you know, baseball is not always – baseball fans are not always totally into, you know, big changes. But I think it's going to happen, and I think that the whole realignment thing is going to be part of it. Now, how that all – how they all do that, you know, that's a different story. But I thought it was great, too, when I read it, and I'm just – I'm pulling it up here. Um, and, yeah, it's just uh, – Makes yeah, sense. I mean, it just makes sense. How about Ast- how about Astros, Royals, Cardinals, Rangers? That's in the Southwest Division, guys. The Southwest Division. Yeah, I was trying to tell everybody that years ago, before there was an Astros and before the uh, Texas Rangers, that St. Louis in the Midwest, uh, their fan base, whether it's Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. Iowa, Nebraska, they're all Cardinal fans. The Cardinals absolutely dominate the mid part, the the Midwest part, especially the South, the Southwest too. So that makes sense. And you know what people have to learn is when you talk about great rivalries, people out West will learn about the great rivalries between Wisconsin and Minnesota. We, we talk about the Badgers against the Golden Gophers. That is a hated old school rivalry. No. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, University of Minnesota, I don't even know. Do they have sports there? I don't even know what's going on there. I'm too too old to be acting like that, Tony. I have to behave myself. You're never too old. But I just – you know what? The thing is that – and something that you've lived your entire baseball career, whether you're A's, Giants – Mariners, we just fly more than anybody else. And the travel between the East Coast teams for the West Coast team, the reality is it's just not fair. No, it's brutal. And and the thing is, Tony, with that is, is it's just what we do. Um, I've never known any other baseball flying, right? So we fly a lot. We're almost, we, we are used to it. But then when you talk to guys who are with the Indians or the Tigers or the Brewers or the White Sox, the, it, it, you know, those teams right in the middle who have really, you know, short flights everywhere, they're like, man, that's brutal. Well, we don't even know it because it's just what we do. But it's going to be bad this year. I mean, I think we added 
9,000 travel miles this year because, you know, we go east like five times. So, yeah, it's not great. It's not great, but it, it's just what we always do, so we're almost used to it. I, I think when people hear it, they don't understand that, you know, there's an art to traveling and how to travel and how to sleep on a plane and how, you know, because it beats up your body, and more importantly, it really beats up on the athletes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, nobody cares about, about you know, the guys in the front of the plane, us guys. But, yeah, I mean, these athletes, you know, I mean, baseball players, whatever sport it may be, it's not good for your body, you know, to be to be on an airplane a lot. It's not good for, you know, healing or anything like that. So it it, it is a factor. There's no doubt it's a factor. And and you know, we're we're really even, you know, kind of going past, you know, hey, we're tired, you know, we were we just had a six hour flight. It it's really even more than that. You know, I think like you said, from a player standpoint, I, I, I do think it 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 has a negative effect on their body, especially when you're banged up toward the end of the year. No doubt about it. And this would just make it more apples to apples by having less of those trips and playing more of the teams. I just think, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the rivalries when you're talking about how, you know, we're looking at a map where the Yankees and the Mets are like nine miles from each other. The Cubs and, White, Cubs and White Sox are 11 miles. We're 13 miles from the Giants. I just think years from yeah. now, how great would, would every year playing against each other, the the true rivalry, what it could be between, like, the Giants and the A's? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, you know, and so if you just start adding up the positives of it, which – you know, what you're talking about is certainly one. The travel, I think, is, is huge. I think that's a very big deal. But and then I think, the you know, the big picture is would it be good for for baseball just in general? And I, I say, yeah, heck, yeah. You know, how about that Eastern Division? Red Sox, Mets, Yankees, Phillies. I mean, how much fun would that be to watch? Oh, I, I just every I, 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 Everyone is great. The only the only one I keep looking at that it's like Denver. Somebody's got to take the Rockies. Every everywhere else I look, it, it just <laughs> it, it just all makes sense uh, for you. Spring training right around the corner. I'm hearing you're going to be calling some games for us here on A's Cast. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah, just two or three. Um, get to work with Johnny Doscow, which you know Johnny's the best. We're super excited to have him on the team. Um, I love that guy. We've known him for a long time, so he's going to be great. And yeah, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to be versatile, right, Tony? Um, play play different positions. That's what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Um, and gosh, it's it's amazing that next week guys are going to be teeing it up, huh? I just can't wait to get my white legs back into the sun and get some shorts on. Yeah, yeah. Be careful with the white legs, though, Tony. I've seen them. Um, you know, I don't know. Pants are an option, too, for you if, if you want to go that route. It's up to you. I look like a snowbird from Chicago right now. It's time to get some sun. Yeah, I know. You know what? Let's you and I just uh, make an effort to maybe tan down the left field line like the great Bill King used to do. Oh, God. Get a Speedo, a little baby oil. Let's go. <laughs> do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know what? It's that time of year where 
you really start to think about it. And boy, once once the middle of January gets to you, then then it the, the season really comes at you fast, and and then it gets exciting. So for you getting ready for this season, obviously we're going to do some play by play. There's the storylines. What are some of the things you're thinking about with the 2023 athletics? Well, you know what? It, it, listen, there's it's going to be a, a, a very young team again. You know, we all know that. Is it a, is the team going to win 90 games? Listen, probably not. But I, I think I think the, the group of young players that are now close to the big leagues or in the big leagues, to me, it, it's become or to me, it's a more attractive group. I think it's a more talented group than maybe what we were looking at last year when, you know, the trades were all finalized and you said, well, this is, this is who we got. I think this year there's, there's just more young talent to get excited about. Um, You know, you look at all these young pitchers and I'm looking forward to seeing them all. We saw a couple of them last year, but there's more this year. Um, you know, you're excited about Langoliers. You're excited about the Ruiz kid who you who we got in the trade and got a chance to be a center fielder. You know, so there's just I, I just think there's there's more talent. It's young talent. It's going to take a while, but there's more to work with. And if if we play the what if game, what if Aguilar, what if Seth Brown can both have pretty good years? I mean, could mm-hmm. you could you see that's where the pop truly comes from? Oh, no question, no question. I'm excited about Seth Brown. I thought he was, you know, he was kind of hot and cold the first half. But if you look at his second half numbers last year, he was really good. Um, and you know, I think maybe him settling in more to a position. I think you'll probably see him mostly in the outfield. I don't know that for sure, but that's sort of the vibe I'm getting. You know, I think I think if you can plant Seth Brown in you know left field or you know however you want to do it, and just let him play every day, from the improvements he made from the first half to the second half last year, you got yourself a pretty good player, I think. Um, and you know, you look at Aguilar, you hope he turns it around. Had a great year in '21, not a good year last year. These are all guys that you, you hope turn it around, obviously. And then you you know you mix in these young kids and you know we're excited about that and you know Tony Kemp's a good player we love the catcher Langleers you know you know so there, there's 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 some things there to work with and and that's what I'm looking forward to and then we're gonna have all the new rules where are you how are you feeling about all the new rules well I'm glad you brought that up I, I was hoping we could talk about it. Um, I, I'm good with it. Of course, I don't, you know, I could change my mind a weekend. I don't think I will. And the reason I'm good with it, Tony, is we obviously have to see how this all works out. But I think I just like the fact that Major League Baseball maybe saw some issues that needed to be fixed and they're doing something about it. Now, we may not, you and I may not agree that we like the rule changes. We may, we may not. Other people may not. But but the effort is being made to improve the game, um, to improve areas that the fans are saying, I don't like that. And that's why I like 
what Major League Baseball is trying to do. We're all in a holding pattern on whether these things are going to work. But like I said, I, I, I just feel like the heart is in the right place with these things, trying to make the game more interesting and a better pace. And and for that, I, I'm excited about it, but I think it is going to be a big deal. Um, we, we just got a big about an hour and a half video from MLB us, you know, TV guys and and I've been watching it and they go over it it's, it's very super informative um, and it's it's very interesting you know I mean this thing has been looked at and studied for 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 years now um, and it's gonna change the game I, I think the game is gonna be different um, you know they're calling it's it's not a pitch clock. The official terminology, Tony, is pitch timer. Okay, um, but without the pitch timer in the minor leagues in 2021, games were three hours and three minutes on average. Last year, with the pitch timer in the minor leagues, games were two hours and 38 minutes. Sold. That's a 25 minute. Sold. I'm sold. <laughs> you, you... Right. I mean, and, and you know we're talking about minor leagues, and I get it, but. It's going to make a significant difference. I think the, the the pitch timer thing. I really, really think it's it's going to help. Well, I just think all that time with, with with you and Ray, and now you at Dallas, and you're you're on live television for three hours and thirty, three hours and forty five. That is a long time to be on television, especially when there's a not a whole lot of action going on. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's a great point, Tony. And and you know, I did 158 games last year, so I got a pretty good idea, you know, how games are, are moving along. <laughs> but you know, I got, I got a decent idea. Yeah, yeah. You've but, been, it's not your first rodeo. <laughs> no, but I I can tell you, on average, and this is the, this is the educated guess. I bet. I bet this happens once on average, once per half inning, okay, where there is not a ball put in play for three to four minutes straight. Now, you think about that. Nothing going on, whether it be a walk, a strikeout, foul balls, taking pitches, nothing going on. No ball put in play. I'm telling you. Two, three, four-minute stretches almost every half inning. That's the problem, if you ask me. It's There's just nothing going on. And, listen, there's times when Dallas and I look at each other and go, let's get some action. And it's not, it's not individual teams. It's just the way the game is now. And Major League Baseball sees the same thing, and they're trying to make this a little more exciting. And – um, I, I really hope it works, and I just like the fact that they're trying. That That's the most important thing to me. Yeah, and as you're talking about, there's only so many times you can say, hey, last year in double-A, this guy did this, or this guy, won the communi- yeah. this guy won the community award back in Arlington. I mean, there's only so much you can fill. I mean, we need action. And one of the things that's right. One of the things, you know, we always do big, bold predictions in spring training, and one of the things that I'm really thinking about is, 
I, I think the stolen base numbers are going to skyrocket because you just think from a yeah. you think from a pitcher's perspective, you think from a base runner's perspective. If you know that guy can't throw over all the time, that's going to mess with the pitchers. It's going to make the runners greedy. I mean, you as a former player, just think about knowing that a guy can't throw over anymore, or he's scared to throw one yeah. more time for a box. You're gone. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons. They did this, I, it, it, and and it it is a, it is a, a little it's tough on the pitchers, you know, but you know in this video that I'm telling you about from Major League Baseball, they you know they did a lot of research with the fans. They asked thousands and thousands of fans, you know, what's and the, the the biggest response was, what did fans want? They said they want more stolen bases and they want more doubles and triples. So there's that action that you get, you know. Um, and you know, listen, Tony, you were a pitcher. I mean, it, it takes away a little strategy from the pitcher, not, you know, can only throw over twice. And I know Dallas, you know, he, he doesn't like it for obvious reasons because he was really good at holding runners and that kind of thing, but maybe there's a new strategy within that, right? Well, when is he going to throw over? Right. So there's a lot of different things, but with the bases a little bit bigger with that, it's all geared toward. Let's get some more action on the bases. And um, AI, I think that will work too. I hope guys start stealing bases. Remember how exciting it was, Tony, the last half of 2021 when Starling Marte came over and he was stealing bags like crazy? And and we looked at each other and said, this is great. Because he got on base and you were like, I think he's going. And it was exciting. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of that back into the game where guys – you know, your league leader is stealing 75 bases instead of 45. I think that's a big deal, and I think that's going to happen. And you remember growing up and you're taking hitting lessons. I even remember at one point I was doing hitting lessons with little kids, and the approach was always teach everybody, hit it back up the middle, hit it back at the pitcher, hit it back up the middle. And that has always been yeah. a line drive back up the middle has always been a base hit. Now with the shifts, that's an out. I can't wait for stuff like a line drive back up the middle to be a base hit. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's, yeah, the, the shift thing is going to be interesting too. It's the one thing that I'm good with. I may not be fully into it yet, but I think it's the right thing to do. It, it You are taking away a, 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 a fairly significant strategy for teams where they do a lot of work on, where to where to put guys right but um what i do think is going to happen with these shifts townie is i think the second base position defensively it's always important but i think it's become it will now become even more important um you better have some pretty good range your second baseman needs to have some pretty good range because he's on the dirt um so little things like that i think are going to come into play um, all of a sudden, you know, the individual player, you know, hey, we need to make sure we got somebody at second base who can who can pick it. Um, so now that becomes a thing, right? So I think everybody needs to be patient. I think spring training is just going to be a trial by air. I think it's going to be a little weird sometimes. I think the players are going to get pissed because they're going to get called for stuff, right? You know, uh, the, the pitchers are going to get called for it. The hitters are going to get called for it. Um, 
but let's hope that they understand what's going on. And Tony, umpires are going to call this stuff. There's not going to be like, well, they are going to call it. I think they're being instructed to call it, and they're going to. So, listen, if it's three and two and the bases are loaded and the pitcher takes longer than 20 seconds to deliver a pitch, it's going to be a ball, and it's going to walk in a run. So this is going to be a big part of the game, and, and fans are just going to have to kind of sit back, watch, and they will see the results, but they will also see some growing pains with, with the players, the pitchers, the hitters, and even the umpires. Yeah, you make a good point about the middle infielders. Uh, they're going to need athleticism again. It's one of the beautiful yep, parts of time. our game is the great athletes and and what what shifting did was allowed you to hide bad defenders in the infield you're not going to have that anymore and i think that is going to be good you got me all fired up i'm ready let's go yeah i am fired up and just so you know tony just so you know bases are empty pitchers got 15 seconds to throw it runners on base they got 20 seconds to throw it you being a former pitcher keep that in mind Get 15 it. with the bases empty, 20 seconds with the runner on. No messing around. You know you know what I think of myself as now? A post-game show host. Let's hurry this thing up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we're going to be good. I think games are going to be two hours and 40 minutes, and it'll give you an extra 20 minutes to talk to our great fans and you know, they love their Uncle Tony, so it's going to give you a little more time to I can't, bond with our great fans. I can't remember the last time I came on at 930. I can't wait for that. Oh, you'll be well into your show at 930 this year. <laughs> 6.40 start from the Coliseum. Oh, my gosh. You'll be in You'll be in segment three by then. Oh, I'll be having. All right, buddy, we will talk to you when uh, you're doing games down in Arizona because we're going to be doing the pregame show for all of them. Great. Can't wait to see you soon, Tony. All right, be well. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. And Scott Miller joins us from Southern California. Always great to have him on. Truly one of the best national reporters that we got in the game. It has been a while. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. How are you? It's like uh, Groundhog's Day, you know. We, the, the groundhog comes out and uh, says it's time for spring, although he didn't do that this year, which uh, shame on him. Well, I got to think we're all really excited to get this thing going again, and you've been down there in Southern California around the Padres, and when I heard they had like 50,000 at FanFest, like they were overwhelmed. They just didn't know they were going to have that many people. What a great sign that is. Yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm down here. You're right. I, I was not at FanFest, um, but hearing I had some friends and neighbors who went seeing stuff on social media um, and just, you know, I've lived down here for the past 20 or 25 years now and watching the the peaks and valleys of mostly valleys of Padres baseball and yeah. baseball <laughs> interest in San Diego, period. Yeah. You know, frankly, it, 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 it's ebbed a lot more than it's flowed, but you're right. This year with this particular team, it just sounds FanFest was crazy. Um, they sold it out. Uh, there were people who had tickets that couldn't get into Petco Park and Padres had a little bit of explaining to do to them. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there should be excitement. It's a star-spangled team. Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, Juan Soto, you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, you know, this team that 
you know, came within a couple wins of the World Series last year. So, you know, we'll see where they go this year. You know, you know how it is in baseball, Chris, repeating, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to do something for one year like the Potters did last year, go to the National League Championship Series. But that standing the test of time, especially when you have a collection of talent like that and repeating and, and, and having another, you know, multiple great years in a row, That'll be the next Padre, the Padres' next challenge this year. Yeah, it happens in all sports. Whether you know, it's yeah. for, for years been, you know, you look at the team that loses the Super Bowl a lot of times doesn't even make the playoffs the next year. Uh, teams that lose in the NBA Finals or the World Series, it's just tough to get that mojo and that magic back. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up San Diego, we were just talking about what we're calling the Great Divide, where you're talking about a handful of teams, basically six teams with payrolls over 200 million 11 teams with payrolls under 100 million this is the biggest financial divide we've ever seen in our sport going into this year you've covered the finances of baseball for a long long time just how do you feel about that yeah i mean it's 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 an issue i mean the one one thing about baseball unlike football and basketball as you well know uh, chris you know the underdogs can win and, you know, in basketball, if you've got LeBron James and somebody else on your team, you know, you may dominate. Whereas in baseball, it's different. So the, sometimes the Goliaths can knock off the Davids. But that said, with the, the way the money is in the game today, it just becomes more and more difficult. And the only thing in the Goliaths, I mean, in the, in the small, you know, underdog Davids defense right now, the only thing David has going for it versus the Goliaths are, you know, the, the extra playoff slots that, that when baseball expanded last year, we have a couple extra wildcard teams now. So, you know, by and large over the course of 162 games, you know, the teams with those giant payrolls should win, they should dominate. And at the very least, because even if they're big people don't perform properly, you know, they're going to have more depth than, than, than the small smaller team payroll teams. I mean, that, that's just, that's the way it is. And, and depth as we've seen in baseball is hugely important in today's game. Um, so the, the, the underdogs can sneak into a couple playoff spots and then they just have to hope they get hot at the right time. You know, fate otherwise, um, you know, eventually you would hope the owners in the game eventually will figure out some kind of financial sharing to melt some of the big divide, as you called it. But I mean, it's there, it's obvious. And, you know, the, the frustrating thing is you go back a year ago when we had that lockout, you know, a year ago, right now, we weren't talking about going to spring training. We were talking about like serious labor negotiations. And the frustrating thing is, you know, the owners shut the game down, but the system really didn't change much. I mean, we didn't have big change coming out of those, the, the lockout. And so all we did was, you know, lose several weeks of spring training last year and then had to condense the season, you know, scramble to play all 162 games. But the, the overall system didn't really change. And, you know, I know that's what some of the owners wanted was was to change the financial system. Yeah, we just duct taped it and put it on for another yeah. five years. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. But on, on a real positive note, and, and I brought this up starting today because I played golf yesterday with a guy from Boston and another one from Michigan. So they grew up Red Sox and they grew up uh, 
a Tigers fan, but they're tech guys. They've come to, you know, the Bay Area to work, work in tech. They got lives, right? So they're not following baseball the way we do. And when I started explaining to them about, oh, yeah, all these rule changes are happening, they're like, that's really going to happen? I started to realize yeah. there's a lot of baseball fans who are going to show up in late March or April, the start of the season, and realize, damn, this game has really changed. I'm excited about that. I think stolen bases are coming way back. We already know that this pitch that we don't call it a clock because a clock's a dirty word. We're calling it a pitch timer is going to change how fast the game. It's going to make the game faster. But all the new rules, I'm excited about it because our game is definitely going to look different. And I believe for the best. And a lot of fans are really not going to know about it. The casual fan really won't know about it until they start consuming the game at the start of the year. Yeah, no, that, that that's true. And, you know, there, there was a time several years ago when I would have been considered, you know, a purist, a grumpy old guy. Don't change the game. Don't change it. But I agree with you. I, yeah. I think these changes are good. We've reached a point in the last five or six years, the way the game has evolved, where somebody needed to step in and do something. And, you know, to your point, hopefully stolen bases come back. I mean, right there where you are, I mean, everybody in Oakland remembers how exciting it was when Ricky Henderson was on the loose and when he was stealing bases. Well, we got the bobblehead right here. You can't – we have two different shots. But, yeah, we always have Ricky. Can we get some Vince Coleman, some Maury Wills, and some Tim Raines back in the game? No doubt. I mean, you know, it it helps – it – it breaks things up. It causes different strategy to defend the running game versus what we've seen the last few years where it's either strikeout walk or home run. Um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, the, the, the baseball is meant to be a multi-dimensional game, not just a strikeout home run or walk and, you know, stolen bases, that kind of thing's great. I think, uh, the pitch timer, as you say, um, because the game is just ground to a halt, especially when the bullpen comes out. I mean, how many nights, this is my biggest gripe. We all know starting pitching isn't what it once was. And, you know, now you're, you rarely see a starting pitcher go beyond the fifth inning, but how many nights during the summer is the game in a good rhythm? And you're like, wow, this starting pitcher is rolling. He's got a good tempo going and it's almost a throwback. And you look and you're like through five. I mean, not that we all want to just go home right away, but, we shouldn't be there for five hours every night either. Yeah. So the starting pitcher will be on a roll and, you know, you look and you're just like, wow, we're through, you know, five innings and whatever it is, an hour and a half. Uh, the, the, this is a really nicely crisp, nice tempoed game. And then what happens is of course the starting pitcher is done after five innings, the bullpen gate swings open. And that's when the game just, it's like the last three innings take three hours to play. It's just interminable. And, I think the pitch timer, I talked to some, speaking of grumpy, some grumpy old scouts, <laughs> long-time grizzled guys that were scouting in the minor leagues last year, and 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 they just raved about the pitch timer. They said that, you know, and these are guys you would expect to be anti-any change, yeah. but they were like, this game really, in the minor leagues, the game has a real nice pace. So I think that'll, um, you know, that'll be a good thing. Um, and, you know, and, and, and the shift, I know that it has it, the, the new rule outlawing the shift has its detractors, but, um, I, I think this is going to make for a better game. And I, and I think eventually people are going to agree on that. Well, I, I got to tell you, one of the reasons why I've always loved having you on the show, you're a great guest. And, and I just wrote this down. It's a great way to put it multi-dimensional game. And yeah. I, and I think about like, 
It's what makes football great. It had, you know, some teams are pass oriented, some teams are run oriented, some teams, some teams like to get after the quarterback, some teams like to back play back in coverage. There's different ways to win. And what you just said there, a multi-dimensional game. I mean, I can remember back when when you had the Cardinals running everywhere, and Tommy Her, Tommy Her, I don't remember what year, 86, 87, whatever it was. About that, yep. He had 100-plus RBIs and didn't even have double-digit home runs. Yes, that was crazy. I think he batted second maybe in the lineup. I'm not sure, but you're right. It was it was like nine home runs and 103 ribbies. Crazy. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was. But, you know, again, you had different – there are different ways to score. The game is better when teams figure out ways to score without just sitting back waiting for the three run homer. I mean, the home run has its place. Don't get me wrong. But when, when 90% of the runs in a game are just scored by the home run, to me, it's a worse game than if 30 or 40% of the runs in that particular game are scored by the home run. And then the rest are, you know, I mean, what, what's more exciting than a triple when the ball's rattling around up the alley and the base runners flying around first then flying around second. And the, you look and the outfielders are trying to get the ball and rush it in. And now the guy's going to third. I mean, you know, again, yes, multidimensional where there are different ways to score and, and teams utilize them. I mean, that's what this game, when it's at its best. I'm going to use that. I won't steal it, though. I will give you credit. Okay. Multi-dimensional game. It's great. You know Dave Roberts real well, and obviously yeah. when we're looking at the favorites, Dodgers are up there. But it's interesting, the change. There's going to be a change. When you talk about inside their clubhouse, the leadership, yeah. I think Turner's going to be missed big time, what he brought to them as that veteran guy. Dodgers still have the talent, but it's going to be different. Walker Bueller's probably not back till 2024. Uh, the Dodgers have been this team every year. People have been saying, ah, oh, they're going to win the World Series. How do you feel about the Dodgers going into this year? Yeah, I mean, I, this is the first year that I think going into the year you might pause and say, let's say the last eight, nine, ten years, this time of year you look and we all make our predictions. You say, oh, well, the Dodgers, the NL West is the Dodgers to lose. <clears throat> this is the first year in close to a decade to me where you say, you know what? San Diego could win that division. Um, the Dodgers are still good, don't get me wrong, but they're not the juggernaut anymore. You're right. Losing Justin Turner, that's like losing the heartbeat of their clubhouse. Um, losing the other Turner, Trey Turner. I know everybody thinks of the Dodgers. They think of Bueller and Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts, but I'll tell you, Trey Turner the last couple of years, he's what made that offense go. Uh, again, back to the multi-dimensional. I mean, Trey Turner get on base. He could run smart, smart base runner, fast base runner, one of the fastest in the game. And when he got on the base, you know, that 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 really igni helped ignite the Dodgers offense. So they're going to miss him. Gavin Lux right now lines up as the probable everyday shortstop. Um, he hasn't proven himself yet. And defensively, it's going to be a downgrade from the Trey Turner and Corey Seager before Trey Turner, the Seager. Turner years, um, you know, and, and, and in the rotation, Julio Urias is really good, um, you know, but there's some question marks. Kershaw gets older, um, Hall of Famer to be sure, but, um, you know, the past few years he's had back issues. Bueller, as you said, isn't there. So 
you know, it's to me, the Dodgers are in kind of a transitional year. They're go, they've got some good young minor leaguers that are ready to break in. They got a kid, Miguel Vargas, may play second base, may play third, probably second. Um, you know, he could be another in the long line of Dodger rookies of the year. So they're going to have to have some guys like him come up and produce. But, you know, the Dodgers enter the year with more questions to me than they have in a long time. You know, we went to a place where everybody did not want older managers. Like, older I got to get rid of those guys. You got to go with the young guys, and they got to understand analytics and all this. And then now with what Dusty has done in Houston, Buck yep. Walter, on and on, we're now realizing having that veteran, having the adult in the room is a very important. And I think about a guy that you know real well, and he was always good to us too, Bruce Bochy. And obviously, we're going to see a lot of him now in Texas now that he's in our division. And I also want to throw in there, I dealt with him. He was a kind of a, a grumpy East Coast guy, but he was good to me too. Brian Sabian. You think of the magic that Sabes and Bochy did in San Francisco and the way they were really kind of done wrong. I'm happy that Brian is back with the Yankees again and really back as a decision maker helping the Yankees because he wasn't doing much with the Giants. He was just playing out of contract. And the fact that Bruce Bochy is back, both these guys are saying, we never wanted to retire. We are not done. Just two guys that you know, especially Bruce Bochy, how happy are you for them? They're back doing what they love to do. Yeah, yeah it it. Very happy, and and I I think it's good for the game that Bruce Bochy's back. I mean, this is one of the best managers of our time, maybe of any time. He's a genius at the with the bullpen. Um, you know, he's so good at, at maneuvering his bullpen and 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 doing what he needs to do there. Um, obviously, Sabian and and Bochy, three World Series in five years. Um, you know, it's they're an example of how the game's changed. I mean, there was a time when. You know, you win three World Series in five years. I mean, you know, Bochy could have managed another 10 or 15 years in San Francisco and then retired. And, you know, same with Sabian in the front office. You know, he would have remained there and they both would have retired as Giants years down the road. But, you know, today's, you know, fast-paced change, change, change game with short attention spans and with different flavors of the month coming along via analytics, um, you know, things, there's just not much permanence anymore. And and I think both Boach and Sabian are examples of that. Another one to me, you know, look at, um, you know, Joe Madden isn't even managing right now. And, you know, he got fired last year with, with the Angels in June. But I, I almost like him a little bit, what I just said about Sabian and Bochy. There was a time in our lives a few years back when before the Cubs won a World Series, you would have said, man, Whatever manager ends up leading the Cubs to a World Series, <laughs> that guy can have a job for life with the Cubs, right? Didn't matter. It's like three years later, Joe Madden's out. Yeah. So there's no permanence anymore. There's no uh, – it doesn't matter what you accomplish. Of, it, it's going to be shorter than later that people are going to be ready to move on because it's really become what have you done for me lately. I mean, we've talked about that one forever, but – in this world, digital world today, you know, what have you done for me lately means within the past year and a half or two years. And if you haven't done much, then, you know, we might want to try something else. And I think it's great Bochy's in Texas, as you said, Sabian landing with, uh, you know, his old pal, Brian Cashman with the Yankees. Um, I suspect both of these gentlemen are going to show that 
they've got something left and that they've got something to offer the game of baseball yet. You know, it's so funny how the Super Bowl really is the the end of the NFL season and makes us baseball people realize, hey, man, I got a flight to spring training on the 21st. I got to start packing. I got to start getting ready. So, really, this is Super Bowl Sunday, and then you realize it's game on. You know, we're going to be down in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Cannot wait. But uh, for your Super Bowl party, when you're watching the game, what's the dish? What's the drink? What do you have to have to make it your Super Bowl party? Uh, well, I, uh, it's funny you ask that, uh, because we're all thinking about that here on a, on a Friday afternoon, less yeah. than 48 hours ahead of the Super Bowl. I've, well, my wife and I, we have some longtime friends. I've gone to the same guy host our Super Bowl party for like literally about 20, 25 and, years. And you now. love that guy. Cause it's his house and he's got to clean up hundred <laughs> percent. So that your question, what I've started doing the last three or four years, I've, uh, one of my other non-baseball interests, aside from music, is eating, and and I love barbecue. And I, a couple of years back during COVID, I got a, a Traeger smoker, one of those wood pellet grills. And so I've been doing uh, a lot. Well, I'll probably bring on Sunday is a, a, a smoked pork butt, uh, which will be, you know, basically pulled pork. And uh, I've gotten pretty good with that particular recipe on the uh, wood pellet grill. So I, I think we're looking at a little barbecue, a little pulled pork this weekend. All right. So how long and at what temp do you cook it? I uh, got to go low and slow yeah. uh, to start. So, you know, um, start low in the, in the, you know, 200 to 250 range, let that go for a couple hours, even 180. I could, that gets more smoke going. Uh, a couple hours there, turn it up a little bit. And then the overall deal is usually about seven hours. Um, about, like I say, start real low, go up into the 200s, let that go for about four hours. And then you got to bring the the meat itself. Has, it comes up to about 160, 170 degrees. Then you pull it, you wrap it in aluminum foil, uh, put it back on until it gets to about 200, 205 degrees internally in the meat. And then that's the point when the fat begins to render and you can, uh, it just falls apart in your hands like candy. And then everybody's like, this is the best thing. <laughs> I, I, I have two Traegers. I try and tell people every all the time, smoking and a Traeger, Traeger's not something you do. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You got to have patience. You know, I mean, I also have a Weber gas grill that I've had forever. I love that too. When I'm in a hurry or need something quicker, you know, I'll sometimes go to the Weber, but I use that Traeger a lot and it doesn't have, but, but a lot of it to your point on a lifestyle is uh, um, yeah. Cause especially if you're doing barbecue you want to do it right. You know, you need to kind of plan ahead because it needs to be maybe on a Saturday when you're home all day and you know, you put it on early, let it go for five, six, seven hours before you pull it off. And then it's just, uh, and then as it goes, the smell is great all day. And then the anticipation grows uh, for that dinner later that night. Well, you're one of our all-time favorites. We always appreciate the time. Uh, hopefully we'll see you at spring training. If not, we'll see you. And we're going to be, everybody's going to see each other now. So we're going to have a better chance to keep seeing you in San Diego. I know. Yeah, we can. Yeah. All everybody. Say, I, and I also thought you meant now that we're fully past COVID. Yeah. Uh, th theoretically, you know, we go to clubhouses with no masks and we can see each other without masks and without the social distancing and all that. So 
to uh, your point of both what I just said and the schedule is different this year. So every team plays every other team. So yeah, it'll be fun. Good, good stuff. Be well. We'll talk soon. All right. You too, Chris. Take care, my friend. I uh, always one of the best. No question about it. Scott Miller, longtime columnist. And uh, now we're doing TV and radio down there in San Diego. And This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.